Hey everybody, welcome to episode 350 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Hot Coffee Face Venable, and I'm joined by podcasting legend, John Walking Radio Station Wilson. Hey John. You know, I go out in the snow and I can pick up like the AM station for like three <laughs> counties over, but man, it gives my genitals such a buzz and it's just <laughs> such a weird feeling. But yeah, it's 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 great to be back on the show. Three hundred fifty. Yeah, wow. Nuts. Yeah, Jason. Also, <laughs> also celebrating seven years this month. So, Damn. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, you know, I would go back and tell seven seven years ago, Jason. Hey, you're gonna do this for a long ass time. And he'd be like, Oh, nah, maybe a year tops. <laughs> But I'm, here we are. I'm here pretty sure I've done over 200 episodes of podcasts in general. Right. I don't know that I've hit 350. Just like all of my podcast episodes that I've been <laughs> a major part of. I don't think I don't think 350. No. Nope. So you you've you've outpaced me. All um, right. And one is, and one thing. <laughs> All in one show. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so to celebrate the landmark uh, episode and the anniversary, we're going to have a very special flashback episode um, where Wolverine loses his clothes. Um, And that is, of course, Weapon X, which takes place in Marvel Comics Presents 72 all the way up to 84. That is... Pretty uh, staunch little story there. <laughs> when you invited me on way back in the day for Marvel Comics Presents number one, yeah, and you said you want to be my Marvel Comics Presents guy, my mind immediately went to this story, <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, I will happily talk about you know Wolverine and the Hulk and Calvin Rankin if I can get to a Weapon X." <laughs> Right, you you paid your dues and now it pays off. <laughs> I'm sorry we couldn't get more people on here. I know you had talked about maybe having a bit of a gang going for this episode. Yeah, I I did. It didn't really work out, and some of that was uh you know a few people being unavailable, and then also with the family situation with my my grandma's funeral and stuff. She didn't really have time to organize it, but um, but nonetheless, I kind of look at it as I got. Four four podcast hosts in one. Am I am I counting right? Let's see. <laughs> Make ours Marvel, all yeah, the pouches. All the pouches. Well you Super just retired Sentai. that one. Yeah, that just so, retired. But and return transport. to Cybertron is cooking. Yeah. So yeah. So, all right. So I guess resurrections. I'm like on every other episode of on there. Yeah. All right. So so a solid three and a half at least. <laughs> right, right. We'll call it three and a half for your three and a half centuries of episodes. There you go. See symmetry or uh, synchronicity, not right. symmetry. Symmetry is the wrong word, but synchronicity is the right word. Um, and a, a good album by the Police. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is this is peak childhood John here because like. Um, I started collecting comics in late 1990, right around the same time that you did. Yeah. And, um, you know, just going to the Walden books and going to the Barnes and Noble and going to the B Daltons and finding my comics. 
um, you know, also getting them from the um, from the comic book shop. But, you know, you go to the bookstores, they still had comic racks. So I would look at the comics there, too, and occasionally buy them there, too. And, you know, there's a, there's a solid six months when these comics were being released in early 1991 from January to July. And so they're always on the stands. It's like Weapon X, you got Wolverine, you got all the like, you know, mechanized Wolverine cover, you know, images on the covers. And and I bought one or two of them, but I never got the whole, read the whole story until I was an adult. But it's just, I mean, when you're, when you're 11 years old, six months is a really long ass time to be, to be watching this story unfold, even though it was just on the, the, the spinner racks. Yeah. No, I, I remember going to, to Awesome Comics in Dallas, Texas, and uh, picking up because I, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit before on the, on the on what was the episode with the Shadow Creatures. Um, but anyway, that was the I had tried Marvel Comics Presents because I liked Wolverine and read that story. And as a kid, it did not connect with me at all. I think we were a little more favorable to it this go around, uh, at least in some of the parts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I kind of I, I tried it and then said no thanks and read some other Wolverine but kind of dove out of Marvel Comics Presents. But I remember seeing number seventy two on the stands and was like, holy crap, what is that? And I had to have it. And I, you know, that was I don't know if back then shops didn't really do subscriptions or I was just too young to know about them. But I probably got about half of the issues. Um, then I was able to get, you know, other the other half I just kind of missed, and or they they sold out before I saw them or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I kind of had like a a general sense of the story, and I knew enough about what was going on. But like yourself, I did not read the whole thing until I got the trade um, right after college, um, when I was kind of getting back into my my comics re-renaissance um, when I got out of college. Um, and since then, I, I've tracked down all the individual issues. I feel like I don't do that on everything, but I felt this is a important enough Wolverine story I wanted to, to have it and be able to kind of stack up the covers because we'll talk about it as we go through, but almost all of these covers are epic. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. And I had forgotten that Barry Windsor Smith also wrote this story. I don't think I really paid attention to that as a kid. I just saw this kind of cool artist that I didn't really know. Um, but it was interesting to remind myself that, that he, like, this is his baby, like, all the way. I know editorially some of the stuff was kind of given to him, like, as a starting point, but um, he this is really kind of his, his thing, so it was interesting to kind of put it through that lens as well. Um, yeah, man. The one the one other like overview comment I wanted to make is that like um this story is of course immediately classic and immediately iconic and it's yeah. it immediately grabs the the minds and the hearts of Wolverine fans. And so of course when they start making films, they immediately go to this storyline as fodder for stories. Right. We see it hinted at in X-Men and more thoroughly explored in X2. But this story is so different from what they actually ended up putting on screen. 
<laughs> like, right. Other than some of the visuals and bare bones concepts, it's a completely different story. Uh, which, you know, just if you're out there listening to this show and you have not ever picked up the original Weapon X, you're about to hear, um, you know, what's going on. And it's it's just really different. And so a lot of my internal concept for this story is from those movies. And ah, I have to remind okay. myself occasionally that, oh, no, it's not quite like that. Like, let's yeah. start by getting all military imagery out of your head right now. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's funny because being pretty familiar with the story by the time I, I, the movies came out, um, definitely made that comparison. Like yourself, I think, um, I'm able to make those comparisons and compartmentalize the differences and just still really enjoy the heck Oh, yeah, yeah, no judgments, right? Um, But, yeah, no, definitely was kind of always keeping – I remember thinking, like, oh, that was different than this. But then even, like, all the way to the scene in Apocalypse where you see him, like, just running down the hall with the the helmet and, like, the the crotch panels and (laughs) Mm -hmm. all that stuff. I was like – I literally, like, giggled with glee when that – you know – when he's murdering people in the hallway, because I'm like, oh, yes, I want, want to see this on screen forever. And, um, yeah, it all kind of starts here. And, you know, it's funny because this really launches and changes everything about Wolverine stories going forward. And and Hamid, or Larry Hammond takes this like a dog with a bone and and choose it until there's nothing left. <laughs> but it's such yeah, he, he does some direct sequels with the characters, but then also he takes the ideas within it and just like really goes to I, town with it. Yeah, he does. And and just for for years and years and years just keeps pulling different things that, that really kinda start with this story. So um I do wanna say Pat Gunter, your patience has paid off. He's been a Long-time fan and friend of the show and has been patiently waiting seven years for me to talk about this comic. And <laughs> I have a um, I have a prophet fan over at All the Pouches who has been yeah. like re-eager, really, really eager for me to get to the prophet series. I've finally read like one issue of it on the show. So right, yeah. You've yeah. got prophet going on. It's, it's a pretty good book. <laughs> I've actually really enjoyed your coverage of that because I never read, I knew of it and had read his debut in Young Blood, but I never read a single page of Solo Prophet. So I always enjoy hearing you talk about the books that I was kind of conscious of and don't really know. I mm-hmm. don't find that really fun. So, but. Well, Prophet might have some similarities to Wolverine. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about before Wolverine, there was Weapon X, which is our first banner. So, I don't, I don't know, John. I know in uh, in Cars Marvel, you, you talk about how you don't really, how in previous shows you've you've paid more attention to letters pages, but there's just not an appetite for, for that show for you, Michael Bright. And I don't read a lot of the letters pages in these. I did read one and a guy kind of shared a sentiment of mine that I wanted to bring up and we can either hit on this now, or if you think it's more appropriate, we can save it for the end. But, um, he really questioned, he was like, it's funny because this letter was nothing but praise about how awesome the book was. And he was like, 
So why did you guys put this in Marvel Comics Presents? <laughs> like, why wasn't this like in the regular Wolverine series or X-Men or like, it just seems kind of weird that it's broken up in these big parts across Marvel Comics Presents. And of course, the, the, the editors are just like, well, cause Wolverine's in the book. <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, so I don't know, were you, are you kind of surprised that this took place in an anthology book or did it just kind of, Makes sense to you. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on finding this story here? It's a pretty great question. What I hadn't ever really thought of before. Um, if I were to just kind of spitball some ideas, um, you know, they they did Batman Year One in Batman, right? You know, and so that ongoing monthly narrative comes to a halt to make room for an origin story, right? And so I kind of feel like that that sort of sets the stage for what you have to do if you're going to tell an origin story, which is, well, that means you got to kind of push pause on the ongoing narrative. Right. Um, and so, you know, Batman had the benefit of Detective Comics continuing on, but um, Wolverine, he has his main book and he has this book. So the question is, does it go in Wolverine or does it go in Marvel Comics Presents? Um I think the format of the story and the way that it is told and the sort of uh, it's not non-linear, but it is a bit disconnected. You know, right. mm-hmm. there are definitely chapters where we're just coming in and this is just some day in the in the, you know, slow warping of Wolverine as, as <laughs> right. Weapon X. Um, so the the eight page installments definitely lends itself towards that kind of storytelling. Right. Um, so I think it works pretty well, you know, page count wise. Let's see, this is, this is 12, eight page issues and then a full issue length, uh, finale. So that's what four comics worth of material. They could have yeah. done it in four months, but I don't know. I think it would have felt different. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing I was thinking about when I was when reading that letter and thinking about the question was. I don't know how you felt about it, but you kind of feel the passage of time between the installments. And I think mm-hmm. that that makes the shorter the shorter stories work because you feel like there's as much happening kind of off the page or in between the pages as, as you see. And oh, to me, that kind of makes an interesting pacing thing that really probably couldn't have happened had it all been in full issues. So... Whether the format was decided and then the story was laid out or the story was sort of laid out and, you know, the format was decided, um, Barry Windsor Smith definitely makes solid use of the short chapter serial right. setup. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 he uses the benefits of this format to their utmost in pretty much the entire book. Um, there are only a couple of places where I feel like Maybe, maybe not, but they're minor, <laughs> and it's more—it's more the concept of the story itself than it is the format. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. To me, Weapon X and Marvel Comics Presents go hand in hand. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, we'll start then with number seventy-two. Um, I believe we'll, we'll we'll kind of track it as we go. I think the credits are the same all the way through, which is. Everything by Barry Windsor Smith, and then some of the letters by Jim Novak. Uh, 
<laughs> and I've got this on the um, Comixology, so I don't have any of those inside cover credits pages. Oh, bummer. Yeah, because they skip right to the the first page. Uh, Marvel Unlimited does the same thing. So, But you do get these awesome covers. So the first cover to number 72 is kind of a split image of Wolverine. Half of him in his normal brown and yellow, brown and orange, whatever you want to call it, costume, claws out. And then half of him, you know, nude with some uh, crotch shadow. And he's got like these weird, I mean, now it makes sense because uh, the so iconic to the story. But at the time, uh, these weird like little pegs coming out of his arm. Yeah, like, yeah, and, like acupuncture, exactly. And then behind him is this just big skull with almost like wires wrapped around and the same kind of acupuncture, thick needles coming out. And then, you know, all the way into like his, his neck and everything. And then behind that is three layers of fire. And like I said, this, if you're interested in Wolverine at all, or even if you're not, Having seen this in the stands, I don't know how you pass it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I love this cover concept. I mean, Wolverine has, of course, been dominating these covers for a while. And here it's like, you've seen Wolverine on these comics. But this is before Wolverine. This is like, let's go back earlier. And this right. was the first time we had ever delved into his past. Like... At this point in your coverage, do we even know about his relationship with the Hudsons? Yes. And how they like yeah. found him feral in the woods? Yeah, but we don't know how he got there. Okay. So so it's easy to conclude by the end of the story that that's how he got there. Right. Um, <laughs> and we've had the word bionic used once or twice to describe his internals. So right. this definitely looks like it's going to feed into that notion because it almost feels Frankenstein-y. Yeah, like Frankenstein crossed with Terminator, crossed with... The Bionic not, Man. Yeah, right. And not as much from the covers. I mean, interesting your take. Some of the, the chapters of the story almost have an alien vibe to them as well. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So, yeah. All right, well, number 72 is the uh, prologue, really, is kind of all it is. Um, but basically, we just meet the characters, right? Um we have Logan, who drinks too much and is given a leave of absence from his government job for shooting someone errantly, um, possibly due to drinking. Um, kind of hinted at, not explicitly stated. Um, Dr. Cornelius, whose ethics seem to be questionable. Maybe he's had a little bit of trouble and needs a, a chance to redeem himself and his science. Um, we have a bearded, I'm sorry, no. Dr. Cornelius is bearded. We have a bald professor who's pulling the strings. And then we have Carol Hines. And all we know about her from this is that she is formerly of NASA and is going to join this experiment. Um, I will say one thing I wanted to mention that will maybe kind of hint at a later conversation. But the, they, there's a apocalypse reference um, with the the hotel being the prophecy and um, kind of prophecy is part of the apocalypse. Did you know that? Which I think kind of throws a bone to some possible clues, but that may be worth 
saving some of that conversation. At least his first phone conversation. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all that quote-unquote happens in this issue, but it's very moody and almost... I think maybe saying it's noir-ish is overused, but I don't know. There's just this idea because there's there's a lot of internal narration, um, and you just kind of see the characters in these opening scenes. Just really, I mean, really is you just you meet them, and that's really kind of all that happens. There's just a barely little foreshadowing of experimentation and you know, of of a person in this kind of science tube and then maybe some stuff going on with a rat. And that's really kind of all you get kind of this jumbled, not real sure what's going on or how it's going to all play together, but just kind of lots of images. Um, Yeah. Lots of narrated images, which is kind of the motif of the story. It's just most of, not all the time, but most of the time the, the images are a bit more coherently linear. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting with the rat getting the bionic experiments being done on it, uh, it's sort of like a prelude or or, or a trial run before we get, you know, the stuff with, with Logan. Um, the second half of this chapter is equal parts surreal and creepy and suspenseful. (laughs) Um, you know, this is called Experiment X in the opening page. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, you know, Barry Windsor Smith conceives it. Of course, the use of the letter X is in order to make the very not so subtle switch around of experiment X with X men. And, right. you know, any X fan that worth their salt knows that later on, this is going to be retcon to be the Roman numeral 10. Right. The 10th right. series of experiments in a program. Right. Right. Um, so it's just interesting here to just kind of see how the idea is getting born. Um, it's funny that Dr. Cornelius was having ethical issues and is looking for redemption by going through this program. <laughs> right. And it's tempting to feel sympathetic toward Carol Hines in this. Uh, she's just sort of brought on and she has that sort of, you know, innocent waif woman trope going on that you, you, you know, you, you feel like you should trust her, but, but, she um she is just as culpable <laughs> in all of this <laughs> stuff. It goes away. Right. If you want to feel sympathetic toward her, maybe you feel a little bit sympathetic, but not a lot by the end of the story. Right. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, so one thing about uh Barry Windsor Smith's art is it's kind of how grotesque it can be. Um you know, I think I'm thinking of the sign uh, I'm sorry, the panel with the skeleton wrapped up in the coils um you know of death in the shadowed rooms and there's a one of of the professor and one of the wranglers with like the electric like giant human cattle prod you know there's just some really just kind of creepy like you said panels but then interspersed with like logan drinking in a hotel room and the Mm -hmm. neon sign getting struck by lightning and it ends with hell Hell is coming. <laughs> Just like, all right. As lightning strikes the prophecy sign. Yeah, right. And so I don't really know what's happening. 
as a you know, if you're reading this for the first time, you definitely are, I think, drawn in, if nothing else, just from a visual standpoint. There's another apocalypse mentioned there on that last page. Oh, just yeah. like the old Giza said, the apocalypse is when all the secrets are exposed and all the running ends. Yeah, that's a nice line. Yeah. It's almost like, though, that it's the beginning of his running. Right. <laughs> like, 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 he gets... He gets caught and it has all this, you know, horrible stuff happen to him. And then he's set and then he, he breaks loose. And like after that, he's kind of running from his past right. up until then. Like you said, he was I don't know if he was military or if he was working at a firing range. But, you know, he was working a job involving weapons. Right. Yep. And he, he winged some geek with a ricochet. Right. So he got and then there's a lot of like. There's a lot of um, written text in this, like on paper and stuff that you can take the time to read for details or not. But like, right. uh, there's a lot of questioning whether or not he is really of like, you know, the constitution to really have this kind of a job. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. And yeah, I think if you count, and when he's at the bar, he's had a whole six pack and some whiskey. So, <laughs> I mean, definitely, uh, you know, at this point of his life, a very heavy drinker, and you gotta, you gotta kind of wonder. It kind of feels like he's already running or hiding from something, whether it's just like the the boredom of his own life or or something. But I mean, here he yeah, finds he's kind of hating existence right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, so what do you think of the big scene of him like crashing the hotel room and like? the newspaper and the bottle and the gun and the broken shot glass and all the pills and the oh. blood. I oh mean, my gosh. He tried to kill himself. Yeah. And how many times does that happen? Uh, yeah. That's one thing. I don't know how much that's really been delved into. Um, interesting. It goes along with a lot of the, the, um, the narration, the right. of the prophecies for fallen Christians, you know. Um, I guess I qualify. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know the prophecies part of the apocalypse. Some drunk bum down the hall told me that, but and, he, and then he croaked, which happens a lot around here, um, except for him. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. So it looks like he shot himself and then wakes up and is like, well. That didn't work. And you have to wonder, he has to know of his healing factor at this point. But maybe he doesn't know the extent of it, or maybe he's just that disenfranchised that he just kind of almost plays the game with himself. I, I, that's, huh. There's a lot you can really take out of this if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, depending on his experiences up to this point, there's a big difference between knowing that you heal from wounds versus not being able to die. Right. Like, yeah. one does not necessarily have to mean the other. It's just the Wolverine stories have made it that way. True. And maybe, maybe he's talking tough about not caring about shooting the guy, but maybe it really got to him. Um, huh. Yeah, wow. There's a, there's a lot of, there can be like a whole issue of of comics just from what's not in this this story. <laughs> yeah, and so. I mean the guy he hurt, the text says suffered critical head wound, like 
it was bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. And huh. And shoots himself and looks like maybe in the head. So kind of some just reward there for himself somehow or like Oh some, yeah, maybe. Some self punishment, right? Um So that 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 adds a whole like layer of emotional background to this. Yeah. Like it does. the man was ready to die. And he basically gets demolished through the course of the story. Wow, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Okay, well any more any more thoughts on the prologue? No, it's a pretty intense chapter. I don't know that they're all gonna be that intense, but the the first one definitely was. Nice mood setter. Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's, that's gonna take us to seventy three. Which Seven. that cover, man. Yeah, it's very green. It is, but it's cool. It's so. I don't cool. know. I don't know if it's Dan Green, <laughs> but it's green. No. <laughs> um, we have Wolverine. Well, we don't know. You, you, you obviously guess it's Wolverine, and there's one set of uh, claws extruded to confirm that it's Wolverine. But basically, we have a body floating in bubbly science juice with spines sticking out all over and um, everything's obscured as far as facial features and everything. I guess if you look carefully, you can see his face. Right. Um, But it's like, um, take Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back (laughs) in that vat and make it like a lot more visceral and disturbing. Right. Very creepy cover. Um, but very like, ooh, I want I gotta see what that's about. Um, right. Now, actually, I really like the different shades of green and kind of the orange shading. Um, the color wise, it really kind of sets a mood and a tone that's that's really cool. Yeah, I um, I didn't realize until like right before we start recording, but the coloring on the digital is 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 a step down um, oh that's too bad yeah the background is just a solid sheet sea green oh and the bubbles are all yellow and there's a gray and there's a red and those are the four colors we have in this and it's just it's not nearly as moody huh. as the original and that is too bad yep yep because it's like the original it gives a feeling of being like lit from the bottom and like Right. Uh, yeah, but no. Oh, well. Oh, well. All right. Uh, this <laughs> came out on February 5th, 1991. Uh, Marvel Comics Presents comes out every two weeks. So you have an early and a late issue each month, unless it's a five-week month, and then it kind of catches up around again. Um, we open with Logan walking out of a bar, and three guys surprise him. One puts a tranquilizer in him, but this just makes him mad, and he starts fighting back. The writer orders not to hurt him, but it does take a lot to finally put him down. And they carry him into a truck. And all of that has been interspersed and interlaced with a later scene of Logan in a bubbly vat of science juice hooked up to wires and probes and all sorts of stuff that you'll recognize if you saw X2 or Wolverine Origins. And we have our cast of characters, the Professor, Marianne, Gilligan. I mean, sorry. um, (laughs) 
the professor, Dr. Cornelius, and Carol Hines, Ms. Hines, are monitoring him as adamantium is pumped into his system. But they are a little bit shocked that his recovery is so rapid. His wounds from the night before, his gunshot wounds of record, and even his shaving from immediately before the procedure, all of this either has healed or does heal before their very eyes, leaving no trace nor scar tissue. Dr. Cornelius is surprised that their subject appears to be more than human, and the professor abruptly leaves the lab. It's basically the end. Yeah. I feel like the first time I read this Weapon X story, I feel like I started here. Like, I feel like him walking out of the bar was the first thing that happened. I don't Uh, know if some collections leave out the prologue, or if I just went to the issue that said part one in it. Because in the in the opening cover, does it say part one in the credits? Uh, yeah, it says chapter one. Yep. Okay. So I think at some stage in my life, I didn't realize there was a prologue. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is... Um, and I'll tell you what, the, uh, the imagery of him in the, in the science... Uh, human-sized Petri dish is pretty visceral. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like kind of the way they have almost like the uh, the data recording dialogue. I also wouldn't mind seeing a copy of this with no words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and the, um, the blue dialogue boxes are like they're like audio filler you know it's like right it sets the stage in a really interesting audible way that you don't you, you it's hard to achieve in comics yeah yeah you feel like you're in an operating room like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. lots of beeps and typing and people just looking at stuff and be like okay that's level okay what do you got okay that's level you know feed steady balance you know Impeded, like all these kind of sciencey sounding medical words, um, <laughs> and and those that we find out, you know, in, in in the wide shots, those are just texts. Those are just texts, you know, monitoring the equipment and communicating to each other as they're doing stuff. While right. the more interesting dialogue is had between the three. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have kind of our three. Uh, well, I guess we'll call them project leads, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which would be the, the characters we met in the prologue, but. Yeah, I mean, you can boil this down to here comes the adamantium, but there's just a really kind of creepy beginning, almost beginning of a horror movie. I, I think your Frankenstein analogy is really good. Um, it's kind of this is the you know the beginning of the experiment that's going to lead to the monster and. And they don't really fully understand what they're getting into. Like no, the professor is coming at this from a position of confidence, and that is shaken from the get-go. Right. Yep. Um, I do have to laugh that the classic Wolverine hair is part of his healing factor. <laughs> right. And and disproportionately, right? Because and clean shave him. His hair grows back really fast. His facial hair, not so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty funny. And 
I think it's interesting when uh, the professor leaves, because not only is his confidence shaken, but you look at kind of his leadership quality, and he immediately sows a lack of confidence in the people he's working with. Right. Because Dr. Cornelius is like, Professor, how'd you like that? We're in the middle of a crisis. And he walks out, and it's just like, okay. So there's already kind of this discord, which you kind of – you know that's going to lead to something bad. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. So you're already, but you're already kind of keyed to like, and these relationships and this experiment is not quite right. Mm-hmm. And so you're already kind of like reading into how how bad is it going to go. Not only just from like, we know something bad is going to happen to Logan, but like, how bad is this going to go for everybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of shows that that scene right right up front here. So I thought that was really a really interesting way of, of like not a lot happening, but a lot being hinted at in your imagination. So, and what's interesting here is that they discover that he is unusual. You know, they discover that he is something different. It's going to lead to this conversation about him being a mutant, right? Um, and yet. The I think my impression at least the the general concept of this story is because he's a mutant because of his healing factor they injected his bones with adamantium and everything else knowing knowing that he'd survive the process at least that's the impression I have in my mind of how this story is told um, right and yet none of the three people in this room knew he was a mutant when they started putting metal into his system. Well, you know, that, that brings up a really good question because I think going forward, right, that is kind of when people refer back, to, like when other writers refer back to the story and definitely in the movies, um, there is that sense of we, we at least had a good idea he would survive because of his healing factor. You kind of got to wonder what they're hoping the outcome is going to be if they just bagged and tagged him thinking he was a normal guy. Like, yeah, a tough guy, right? Had a had a history of some, some sort of violence, at least, right? Um, but I, you got to wonder what they thought was really going to happen if they didn't think he was a mutant. Um, and they, they're, they're trying to make a weapon, and they did the experiments on the rat. I'm, I don't think the rat survived. It doesn't I, look like it, yeah. When you had that, like, uh, Shadows <laughs> of Death thing you were reading, they had the, the skeleton. And right. we, do, we do see a brief shot of a portion of a rat's skull. So it's almost yeah. like knowing that an animal wouldn't survive this process, the professor went ahead and did it anyway on right. a human that he just captured. Now, we're going to find out in the course of the story, there's somebody above the professor who had him specifically go after Logan. Right. Um, but the professor didn't know that. He thought he was putting metal into a human to coat his bones to make a soldier. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, that... I mean, is he, like, banking on, like, oh, I, mean, well, I guess there's a 20% chance this will work. <laughs> or, you know, just, it seems like he's kind of, <laughs> kind of playing against the odds, um, which it makes sense, then, I think, why other writers would lean more on the... Well, yeah, I mean, the, the healing factor is the reason he was chosen because, you know, what what chance would a normal person have? <laughs> but, right. 
All right. Well, anything else on this this first chapter? Definitely sets the tone. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm good. I'm ready to move on to 74. All right. 74 has the iconic cover. Classic Very, Weapon X cover. Yeah. It's actually uh, on the cover of the trade. Um, and actually, when I was looking through some images, I guess he had done like a a print that he sold like through his art store or whatever that's kind of in a more detailed and more modernly colored version of this as well. That's pretty cool. Worth checking out. Um, but yeah, it's uh, your, your classic, almost like Lion-esque, Barry Windsor Smith and Logan with his mane of hair, more so than like the, uh, the Wolverine kind of horns we think of or fins in his hair. This is just a thick, flowing mane um is it's interesting that you know bws his claws are more thick and round um and the way they come through his skin almost like slicing through paper and then you also have the cool part that you don't get on the trade um where the third claw is punching through the letterbox (laughs) which is pretty cool um but yeah, it's a very iconic uh, Weapon X cover. Um, there's a couple of the, I think all these covers are great. There's a couple that just kind of, you can put them together and like that is the Weapon X visual and kind of in three. Yeah. Um, and this there are def- three that really jumped out at me, and this is the first of the three that really just kind yeah. of epitomizes this story. Right. Yep. I agree. So pretty great. I hadn't. I hadn't really noticed the tearing of the skin around the claws. It's interesting because he does explicitly address that issue in the course of the story. Right. Um, and I had not noticed him punching through the corner box. That's funny. <laughs> I like it, that. I like it. It's almost kind of out of place funny, though, right? Because um, <laughs> you have this very, like, somber tone, morose, grotesque story. Oh, by the way, he's uh, he's slicing through the letterbox of the Human Torch. Huh? <laughs> there are a couple of jokes there in are. this story yeah. that just like jump out. Like, wait a second, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and having the professor be the butt of some of these jokes is pretty funny as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then want to mention we're, we're not really going to talk about other stories or other things, but all these also have a back cover, and we have some early Sam Keith art on the back of this cover as well, um, with uh, Human Torch, Iceman, Shanna the She Devil, and the Constrictor. So, which one is the seventy-four? Uh, yeah, seventy-four. Yep. Let's see if I can get it in a search, because uh-huh. of course Sam Keith is my Max boy. Yeah, that's true. All right, so... Oh, look at that. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool earlier. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because you can kind of see a little hint of uh, the Jungle Queen in his Shannon. Uh, yeah. And there's a little bit of there's a little bit of Max in the way the Constrictor is supposed to yeah. position, too. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely a... a Marvel House stylized version of what will later become the Max it's, concepts. Right. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> All right. So in this chapter, Logan survives the experiment. The professor is talking to a secret benefactor, 
which again we'll 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 play more with that later because there's a lot of different thoughts on that. Um, and not very happy about being left in the dark about Logan's mutation. Logan is being um, monitored following the procedure, but is pretty sluggish. The professor is asked about the extra adamantium to the wrist, but he brushes it off. So he also has his own secrets. Um, Logan begins bleeding from his hands, and the professor sends a staffer to help to his doom. Cornelius goes to check the staffer to find that Logan has popped his claws and killed him. Um, so, yeah. Um, art-wise, I thought particularly uh, some really great facial expressions in this issue, um, especially on page three. Um, some of the close-ups of Logan as he's just kind of slouching and the close-ups on the eyes and then just the despondent like, I know something's wrong, but I don't really know what's going on. And just, you can really read it on his faces. It's really mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking of is how little we get from his point of view in this story. Right. Which which I really think that's the way you kind of have to tell the story. Because if this were, if we had more of his inner mindset, then we would need for him to overcome this more quickly than he does. Right. Right. He he is he is the object in this story, not the subject of the story. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, no one understands why there's a concentration of adamantium going to his wrists and forearms. So, another contradiction to I think the general interpretation of the story, they are not intentionally giving him claws. No, and that brings up a good point. I, I think definitely an end in the story conversation but that is worth starting now is that at this point in the story and in several points of the story, there's nothing that says the claws have to be new. Um, right. It could have just been kept secret and only known by this mysterious benefactor, which I think will obviously be the retcon truth, but there's nothing to contradict that at all in this story. And I knew, you know, it's funny because until this reading, I pretty much in my memory and because of the way it's treated later and maybe just in fandom was kind of living under the assumption that, oh, well, yes, Weapon X, they give they talk about giving him claws and that has to be retconned later with the bone claws. But there's actually not a hint of contradictory material in most of the story. Um, yeah. Now there's stuff left out. Like there's there's the absence of material in some places, but there's nothing that says they gave him claws. And so I thought it was really interesting that there's confusion in this chapter that the professor seems to maybe know a little bit about the mysterious benefactor definitely knows about, but nobody else has a clue. I read the professor as covering up for his own ignorance and putting it front. A lot of times in this story, he feels very inadequate and trying to compensate for that inadequacy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Because here's the thing. Fatal Attractions is only two and a half years away. I mean, this is early 91, and that's late 93. And that's when we finally found out he has bone claws, if if I know my stories right. Yep, yep. So, and and you've seen, you know, you've done every Wolverine story. 
there aren't really that many flashback stories where he should be popping claws, but isn't. Yeah, not that many. And you know, it's just, it's just this general idea that like he has all the all these stories where he didn't have claws, and it's just like not really. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some where you would maybe wonder, well, why didn't he use them there? But that's pretty not that often, and. Even with the like internal narration, <laughs> you know, Cameron and I used to joke. You just, you just add the phrase "in adamantium" to the end, and you solve it. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like this is the first time I had claws in adamantium. Okay, good, good. Way to go. Um, but yeah, uh, but it's pretty brutal. Um, you know, I want to get your thoughts on this chapter because I the way I kind of read it is kind of a, almost a contradiction. It's pretty. In my mind, the way I read this particular chapter was very calmly brutal and in an unsettling way. Like, it's not really, like, fast-paced. It's not... And we're, we're going to get to some full-throttle scenes, but this is almost like a methodical brutality that really kind of gets, uh, excuse the pun, but under your skin a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you, how do you kind of feel about the way this chapter read tonally? Yeah, you're talking about the actual claw popping scene where it like, yeah. seems to come out really slowly. Yeah, your description um, is unsettling. <laughs> um, did you see? Did you see Saving Private Ryan? Yes. Okay, so there's a scene where uh, the Jewish character, who is an African American actor, is in a sort of upper room of some sort of shack with his attacker. And they fight and they wrestle and there's a knife fight and the fight ends with the attacker getting the upper hand, but he does not stab and kill the guy. He has the knife and is pressing down and the the Jewish hero protagonist character is holding the hand away from his chest and slowly losing that fight. Right. So it is a slow and methodically brutal scene <laughs> because the knife slowly inches into the guy's heart. Yeah. And it's hard to watch. And so <laughs> as you were describing this, that's kind of like the tone that like formed in my head is that like he's there and like the the claw pierces his skin and the blood comes out. He starts bleeding. But like the claws do not pop out. The claws like slowly emerge. Right. Um and it is it is hard to imagine. Um now, why is it so painful this particular time? I don't know, maybe because they're covered in hot metal. Um, maybe because they're actually significantly thicker than they have been before because they're covered in metal. Um there are there's you know are several reasons why this might be an extra visceral experience for Logan, right? Um, but but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely hard for him. Yeah, no, and you know him, the the close up of like just the like the panel that's like just the claws with the blood kind of splattering off you know we talked about how kind of yeah how kind of gory this this comic can be though i don't it's not like 
horror porn by any stretch. I don't no. think. Um, but it definitely is. I think, I think maybe the word for this episode we'll, we'll, that we'll probably go back to a lot is kind of just unsettling. Um, <laughs> like it just looks painful, both physically and kind of emotionally painful. And I think, I think probably probably some of the pain of this experience is also just the culmination of the whole experiment as well, right? That, that yeah, the the claws popping hurt, but also he's probably just in pain in general. Mm-hmm. Um, he and, does, after all, have metal infusing <laughs> his system, and it didn't. It wasn't there yesterday. Right, right. You know, he's still got all the wires and all the all the little spikes in his his body, and so I mean, he's got to be pretty uh pretty messed up. And um, you know, it's funny how shocked they all are that he killed the guy. You know, you kind of get the idea that the professor's like, oh, yeah, yeah, go in there. It's fine. <laughs> Be sure to close the door after you go inside. Right. Close and lock the door because, you know, you're going to die. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it just kind of speaks to to some of the motivations of our, at least our three main characters that for whatever reason, even though they all have various levels of discomfort, with the situation, none of them stop it or bail or anything. Or even they suggest all, it. Right. They all just kind of readjust either internally or externally and and move along with the experiment. And and you got that last scene of Logan bent, bending over the the staffer with his, his knives out of his hands, as they call it. And the poor guy's ribs like coming out of his shirt. Like, it's pretty mm-hmm. gross. Um, yeah. And then transpose it this really detailed like computer screen background with like all the the colors. So it's it's really interesting juxtaposition artistically. Well, and that's and that's like the imagery of Weapon X, right? You've got this feral creature interposed with all of this advanced, you know, cybernetic technology. Right. And it's it's just yeah. Um Which, I feel like it, it fits. Yeah, and kind of makes this like a sci-fi monster story um, mm-hmm. at its core. So it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting visually. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have a lot more on this chapter. I really enjoyed it. but um, Yeah, the only thing I was going to say was kind of the punchline to the clause conversation earlier. is just like um, they're surprised to see the claws. If they had done an X-ray... Theoretically, they could have seen that he has claws. We have no indication that they did an x-ray on Logan. Right. Um, The adamantium went to his wrists on its own. So either it gravitated to all of his skeleton and all of his bones, including his claws. Right. Or the adamantium magically made claws in his wrists. (laughs) And that seems a little far-fetched to me. It does. It does. Okay. 75? 75. 75 is March 5th, 1991. On the cover, Wolverine appears to be lying on the ground, but the green background is completely absent of any detail except for BWS's signature. Yeah. Um, and he is naked except for, like, all these cords and ropes that he's covered in. 
but he doesn't appear to actually be bound to anything. Like, it looks like Kuku could just get up and walk away wrapped in ropes. <laughs> Very but he's not possible. having a good day. <laughs> right. Or he's having a really good day, depending on how you want to interpret his face there. Right. That's funny. Yeah, it could be kind of kinky. <laughs> so, you, 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 he likes the ropes. Yeah, the rope play. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's it's not a bad cover, but compared to all the other covers in this run, it's not my favorite. Right. I would I would agree with that. So this chapter, this chapter is essentially a conversation. Um, between the professor and Dr. Cornelius. Cornelius complains about Logan attacking them at the end of the last chapter, and what are we going to do about the boy he killed, and what is Logan anyway? Is he still human after all this being done to this procedure? And the professor masterfully allays all of his concerns. We survived the attack, so no need to complain. The boy's family can be compensated, and Logan is a mutant, a homo superior, therefore he's not human rather he's a bestial creature who can be programmed controlled and made into a weapon and and programming creatures is what dr cornelius is good at right so good we're all on the same page then uh, they have bound logan after last issue's attack but at one point he wakes up pops his claws and tries to slice through his bonds so they have to gas him back to a stupor again and that's basically the chapter yeah yeah um uh, there's some really great art at the beginning because, like I said earlier, we don't see any of this from Logan's perspective, but we do get some really emotional shots of his face on the second yeah. page of the story. Yep. And just kind of the, the feral ferocity. Um, and the one where he's passed out at the end is also um, really, really nice. So, like an upside down face um, looks, looks really good. Um, not just feral, but also kind of haunted. Like yeah. that 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 middle panel on the second page is is disturbing. Yeah, it is. And some of that's the the, the nice color work as well. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, it kind of moves the story along a little bit. Um, whole lot of talking talk. Um. You know, it's funny, there's that there's scene where he says, they're not knives, Cornelius, they're claws, which I think actually helps the quote-unquote retcon because claws are, are natural to animals. So almost, that wording almost says they're, they're part of him. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because yeah. he's dehumanizing Wolverine by calling him a mutant, therefore not human. He's bestial, therefore not deserving of our pity. And he has claws, not knives, therefore he is, you know, feral. Um, but like you said, they are, that means claws are naturally occurring to him because they're a naturally occurring uh, animal characteristic. Right. Yeah. Um, and then that page right after that, with the the scene of him getting gassed, is pretty great visually. Um, and then interspersed with Cornelius, like almost ashamed of what they're doing. But then, kind of, kind of the, one of the themes of this story is that 
they can be ashamed all day long, but they're not going to change a damn thing about what they're doing. Um. No. He has flickers of consciousness, but only because he's not as ruthless as the professor. Right. But don't think for a moment that he's actually a good man at any of this. Right. And it kind of makes you wonder what skeletons he has in his closet that he almost feels like he, he either is enjoying this or feels trapped here. Um, okay, he does admit, like, in the last epilogue that he was kind of blackmailed into this. So there right. is that. Yeah. But still, there's... I don't know. There's only so... Take my dirtiest, darkest secrets. I do have a few... <laughs> I do have some secrets I would like no one in, in the entire world to ever know. Right. Um, but, like, take those out of the closet and share them. And there, there are some things I would do to keep them covered. But, I mean, I'm only going to go so far. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It's interesting because we didn't know what Logan was at the end of part one, if I'm missing my counts. Uh, we found out he was a mutant in part two because of the conversation on the phone. And here we are in part three, and it's just like, yeah, he's a mutant. You know, homo superior, didn't you know? <laughs> It's all the it's all the talk now about how some <laughs> people are homo superior. Eh? Yeah, yeah. That professor, he uh, he is not missing an opportunity to make himself sound smart. <laughs> yeah. It really is funny because it really almost at every level makes you hate him, right? <laughs> he is loathable throughout yeah. this. <laughs> Even even to his peers. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say he has zero redeeming qualities. At least Heinz and Cornelius have some sympathetic qualities to them. Right. But the professor is is a mad scientist. Yeah. Um, and unstable emotionally and mentally. And he does not get any pity in, or do anything to even deserve pity. Even when he tries to deserve pity from Wolverine later, it does. It's it's not a good move. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, on to 76. With Death's Head in the Corner Box. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so here on the cover, we have a scene mostly in red. We have a naked, very stocky, thick Wolverine mm-hmm. um, with his claws out on his left hand. And with his right hand, he is choke holding. Um, Poor Mrs. Hines. And the background is in black. Directly behind our characters is like a yellow spotlight. Um, and Miss Hines, excuse me, is dropping a shoe. Um, you know, this is definitely BWS. There's almost a John Byrne quality to this co- cover as well. Um, yeah. But, um,. That's I'm kind not... of amused at how all these shadows over his, you know, his little claw. <laughs> right. Um, don't leave. Yeah, don't leave room for it. Like, it's not like there's a shadowed space where, you know, things we're not going to talk about are hiding out. Right. He might as well be, you know, genderless. No, yeah. I, for all I, the uh, for all the room that's given to the shadow down there. Yeah, I think based on these covers, he definitely has a JJ. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, you know. Or, or or a mannequin bomb. There you go. Yeah, Kendall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the shadows do make it look kind of like pubic hair at times. <laughs> but 
Anyway, I, I see this. And I'm like, not, oh no, not that kind of show. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Maybe I see this cover and I'm like, oh no, Miss Hines. Uh, she had it coming. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, in this one, the the possessor, uh, the possessor, the professor presses Cornelius to complete reorientation of Logan. The professor wants to control Logan. But Cornelius says he can only influence him, but they can see his mind on the big screen on Logan TV. An adamantium monster screams at them in pain from the monitor, which must be really unsettling in the room. Um, Logan grabs Hines by the throat. He lets her go to try to an, an attack the professor. Um, but I'm sorry, but guards come in and trank Logan. The professor wants to kill Logan at this point, but Cornelius talks him down. Um, Hines sees Logan's unconscious hand slowly extract a claw, and a vision of a bloody, murdered professor comes on Logan TV. And that's foreshadowing, kids. Yes, it is. It definitely is. Um... So I feel like the experiment artistically keeps getting more and more detailed. Right? There's more little wires drawn. you got to think, you know, Barry Windsor Smith had to have spent a ton of time drawing these panels. Just on that first page, right? Yeah, right. And there's so much going on there. Um, I love, you know, we talk about kind of the, the random weird humor um there's one where they make fun of the professor here um page three yes i, I lost it for a second um was well, three of the digital i think it's the second story page at the bottom yeah mm. i laughed at that whenever he they give him the the microphone for voice control. Oh, oh yes. Gosh, I completely lost my note. Sorry. Yeah. So there, he's testing guy. Uh, they're gonna test drive Logan, and um, he's trying to use the microphone to, for the voice control, <laughs> and he's talking and giving Logan commands, and um, Cornelius is like, uh, Professor, we haven't turned it on yet. But it's not even commands, it's like megalomaniacal <laughs> domination. It's like, I am your master. No <laughs> one but me do anything I say. Right. <laughs> it's, it's and that not, it's not on, sir. Yeah, and the very subtle facial expressions there of Cornelius and Hines trying not to laugh, mm-hmm. and then the professor just scowling at them. Please get on with it, Doctor. Right. This right. <laughs> is a really kind of funny moment. Um, so also, it's interesting that at the slightest hint of being threatened, that the professor wants to kill him when he the whole time has been like, "No, we must do everything to preserve the experiment," and Cornelius is. You know, the one that has to be like, oh, no, we, we got to keep on with the experiment. When it would almost be easier on Cornelius if they did just kill him and his part would be done and he could go on about his business. But here, that's why, you know, you kind of alluded to earlier that no, everyone's culpable. Because even when he has the opportunity to kind of like shut this down, even if it's in a negative result, 
he he chooses to prolong the experiment mm-hmm. when the when the professor doesn't want to, and so it's an interesting kind of kind of take. I also love the detail on the professor's bloody face and Logan's imagination. And very three distinct, like, round holes through the glasses in the forehead of where the claws would be. It's, uh, it's pretty gruesome, but pretty, pretty dynamic image as well. Yeah, it's pretty great. The, um, this is a really intense chapter, and we get the first tidbits of what's going through Logan's mind through all of this. Right. Uh, because of of the uh, the Logan TV um, stuff, like no, 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 don't use his name. Stuff like that is just like, oh wow, you know, right? They're gonna be interacting with his conscious and subconscious mind, and they like can't humanize him because if they humanize him, not only is it damaging to them as controllers, but also they're trying to turn him into a machine, into a into a soldier, basically. Another element of the story that I feel like doesn't get brought out, they're trying to turn him into a puppet. Yeah. A a remote control weapon that is human shaped. And um and yeah, it's it's a thing. Yeah. What do you think of the creepy uh, adamantium monster? Um with uh what he sees of himself. Yeah. It's pretty uh, intense, and I feel like it's the one... uh, Okay, spoilers. I'm not a huge fan of elements of the ending of this story, but I do feel like some things that happened in the last chapter are hinted at here, with him seeing himself as this this crazy, you know, mutation monster here. Um, He looks down at himself, and all he feels is pain... And he, um, you know, of course, the pain is centered around his skeleton. So he's like viscerally aware of his skeleton, which is what he sees on the TV. Right. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. It's definitely ugly and horrifying looking. Um, very, a very horror movie type vibe with like, the porcupine skeleton um, and all the spikes. You can see this in like a Wes Craven movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and poor Hines, um, you, you think she's about to buy the farm, and that look on Logan's face is just cold, dispassionate, matter-of-fact, I'm just going to kill you because you hurt me, <laughs> but I'm not going to react to it. Um, I, I think it's funny, the kind of the caveman talk, he's like, you, pain to me! <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's depending on how you're feeling when you read it, it is like, again, haunting or kind of amusing because it's right. it is funnily stuttery, but it's also like that's all he can get out of his mouth. Right. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's a thing. You are a beast in my control. The professor is a horrible, horrible human being. Yeah. And, you know, this is the podcast that goes Nick, but I think in this issue we're also the podcast that goes Spuck, Cuck, Skuck, Schlick. <laughs> <laughs> we had a Schluck on the other issue. On the yeah, other, yeah, right. And I kind of like the the different sound effects for, like, the really slow, just gross one inch at a time 
the really right. wet sound effects. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that, that claw coming out is, yeah, it's something else. It's like one claw, one claw to kill you all, one claw to find you. Yeah. Um, okay, so we do 77? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay. Um, April 2nd, 1991, another classic, classic cover. Right. Uh, Weapon X wandering through a snow-covered forest, forearms drenched with blood, claws out, looking alone and bereft. I have specific memories of this cover um, being in the Walden. Actually, no, this is one that I bought. I think I remember this cover so well because I actually bought this issue and then also later when I read the Vampire Lestat, uh, anyone who knows that story knows about the opening chapter with the wolves, and it reminded me of this. Ah, okay. Yeah, I love everything about this cover. Uh, the coloring, all the shadow work, the, just the immense detail, and just how bleak it feels. Um, and, like, his size... In comparison to the cover, like he's he's front and center to a degree, but he's you know maybe a third of the cover you know height wise, kind of gives you that scope and distance and just how kind of how lost he is. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really emotional cover. I yeah, I remember this one very well from a, as a kid. It really struck a nerve with me and and this type of image, which is. Probably not even the first time that it was necessarily used, and definitely won't be the last. But this type of image of of Logan, um, in you know, in the woods and the snow, animalistic. Just I don't know. This this is kind of one of those just classic images that always kind of sticks in your mind as a Wolverine fan. Yes, most definitely. Okay, so Wolverine has been left naked. And um, wired, no, covered. Sorry, I misread my word here because I misspelled on the page. He's been naked and covered in blood out in the woods as bait for a wolf attack. They're just going to come snack on some nom-nom wolverines. (laughs) And um, the scientists have him all wired up so they can gauge his reactions. And at first, as he's being attacked and, like, brutalized, he is completely non-responsive. And there is momentary panic that he will just let them kill him. But then he shrieks as his claws emerge. I don't say pop his claws. His claws, like, emerge. And he thrashes the wolves to pieces. Um, Afterwards, the professor decides to just let him rest in the gore of his kill until the next day. Uh, and this is a point in the story where they have, they have him basically, they can turn him on and they can turn him off. Right. And so they turn him on before the attack. And I guess it just takes a while for him to like warm up and start actually going. But then at the end of the attack, they turn him off and he schlumps down in the blood and they just leave him there. Professor's like, Ooh, I like this idea. He's going to sleep in blood tonight. <laughs> right. He's a crazy man. And then uh, the idea of the at the end, like the next morning, when the Wranglers come to get him, and they got the the things around his neck, and he just kind of walks off like sullenly, not really aware of what's going on. It's a very haunting image. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this is the first time they actually call him Weapon X. You know, they've been they've had Experiment X, but here they actually use the the word Weapon X in this chapter. Um, you know, in story, it's been on the cover the whole time. But um, yeah, man, this fight and you know, you have a little bit of the humor, right? Where they're like, "Oh, those Muslims are really hungry. They could have our donuts or whatever." Um, <laughs> yeah, our, our, our Danish. And just how. Yeah, because we know that our three main characters are pretty horrible. But you just got to you got to think of like kind of the cronies that are part of the experiment. You know, just how kind of void of a soul you can be to be like running this experiment and joking about breakfast and I don't know. It's just wow. You know, whoever. Yeah, I don't- Whoever they got to work at this place. <laughs> I don't really know where villains get all their cronies because there right. are a lot. You know, you figure in comics and movies and books, there's always just like all the people who make it possible. And it's just like, how do you even live your life? Right. Um, and then you have stuff like, you know, the um, the gifted TV show, which like puts a real human spin on some of that. And just like. Yeah. really shows that some of those people, I mean, they're just there doing their job, but they, like, have reasons for it. So I don't know. Or or on the other side of the coin, you have, like, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. first season where they're all in there because of the incentive program. And the incentive program is we have your family hostage so that you work for us. <laughs> so, you know, the cronies right. are there for crony reasons. But um, this is the first uh, explicit indication that this is a multi-day, who knows, maybe even multi-week project right um because there's definitely been some time passed between previous chapters and this and so maybe there was time passed between other chapters right um and have we we haven't talked about this one of the really major elements of the style of this story is the caption flow the caption flows in the panel are often arc shaped they are yeah, almost like a U. Like yeah. you start at the top left, go to the bottom, then go back up the right side. Usually captions go side to side or they go in columns, but this one, and he does it so that your eyes are inclined to follow it, as long as you don't try to like break the flow artificially. But like he flows in an arc around the image. It's just really interesting because you really don't get that in comics very much. No, but you know, it's funny you mentioned the eye because it really makes you circle around the whole panel. And I think actually, you know, I was kind of joking that I wouldn't mind seeing some of these images without all the words. But the words, the way he puts them actually makes you notice more detail of the art in a way. Like the words almost highlight the art um, because of the of the reading flow. That's an interesting point. Um, they said, can you ha- they can have my Danish. I'm like, can you? I mean, you have some <laughs> religious culture in your life, so you've probably fasted before. Can you imagine fasting several days and then dropping a sugar bomb <laughs> in your gut? Right. I mean, maybe as a 20-something, but not as a 40-year-old man. Oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, I guess wolves could live six days without food. Uh, well, of course they can. They just did. Didn't you see that? That's what they no, said. In the- right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not happy and their ribs are sticking out, but but yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. 
Well, okay. And also, I think like voluntarily fasting for six days versus being forced to starve for six days. I right. don't think you'll die. Yeah, maybe. You'll just really, really wish you did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, so. What? We don't see this as much these days anymore. And probably for the better, but. You know, one thing that this story reminded me of is how much early Wolverine has these brutal fights with animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and being an animal lover myself, sometimes it doesn't... Modern-day Jason doesn't always read real well with. Um, just, I mean, you know it's just art, so you don't have to have the, you know, that no animals are harmed in the filming in this scene. <laughs> but right. But, I mean, it's pretty graphically brutal what, you know, and, and going all the way back to the Claremont Miller series where he fights the bear. And, it, I mean, it's been a, a constant in 80s and early 90s Wolverine stories, just this fighting of the animals. Um, but he really, like, it's it's brutal, this, this fight with these wolves. Um, you know, claws going through them, the blood, and... You know the action in like the uh, particularly like the scene from his back where he's just hacking away, and then it, the camera flips to his face and there's just streams of blood like splashing him in the face. Um, it's it's kind of gross, <laughs> but definitely, definitely kind of gross. Yeah, but then you get this this next scene though of Barry Windsor Smith just. This awesome panel of of light, you know, we talked about how they must not have done an X-ray before, but we get kind of an X-ray view of his arms, um, kind of as he's getting ready to hack away with his claws, and especially that as it kind of zooms in through the panel, that's a really cool sequence. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you about this, because, like, it's not just adamantium on his bones. There's, like... A branching almost reminds me of the nervous system quality to the to the to the metal coating, and right. they lampshade it. They say, "Well, there's there's an excessive distortion of the metacarpals could be the cause of pain upon extrusion." You'll look into that. Yes, professor. Good. Well, we never find out more about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't. And they yeah, do is, mention. Is there, is there anything about it that like comes up again? The only thing that. Maybe comes up again. I'll mention in a later issue because um, there is the part where they talk about, or was that the last one? Hold on, look at my notes here. Is it this one or the next one? Maybe they talk about. No, it's this one. They talk about the claws hurting. Um, that there's pain on extracting the claws, which of course always reminds me in the movie. Does it hurt every time? Every, uh, <laughs> I had the, when they were coming out and he was screaming, I had the exact, I wrote down that quote. Right. <laughs> um, when they talk about, like, will you look in, can we look into, like, him not breaking the skin and build some kind of terminal, um, which they don't directly address. They do indirectly address it in a later chapter. Um, and we kind of find out where that visual idea originated from that they wanted something which 
You know, kind of makes you wonder, though, with his mutation, because, like, animals, the only animals we know that have claws that are not always external are cats, right? The, the claws that, that fold in and out. And they have, like, um, a mechanism in their skin that allows the claws to come out without constantly cutting themselves. Um, and you would think that if you're going to have, if, you know, kind of going back to evolution and, <laughs> you know, survival for yourself, you would think that if your body evolved claws, it would also evolve, you know, a way for them to come out without killing you. But, but, but I also like the idea that it doesn't because that really plays into the X-Men story mutation that a lot of these mutations are unfortunate and dangerous to the, the mutants themselves. You know, people maybe who's who bleed acid or, you know, this idea that some of these mutations are really cool powers and sometimes they really suck. And I always like that Wolverine kind of has both, right? Like he has this really cool healing factor and these really badass claws, but then it also sucks because every time you open the claws, you rip your hands open. And so it's kind of, he has the blessing and the curse of mutant powers and... You know, of course, later we'll get the the on again, off again. Are they permanently attached to him or not? Kind of vehicles to let the claws come out. Um, mm-hmm. But this is kind of the mention or first allusion to that. I guess, I guess chronologically, obviously we've had them ever since Dave Cochran started drawing Wolverine. But um, he's kind of like, oh, those claws are cutting through, and we should we should do something about that. We build in some kind of terminal system to allow the claws easier access. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting kind of. You wonder if it's you know Barry Windsor Smith trying like trying to make that fit like that old visual fit into the the current story, or if he really just had the idea of wanting. Yeah, you wonder if he's focusing more on the fact that it hurt to pop the claws, or more on the fact that. Oh, this is a chance to explain those nodules that are always on the backs of his hands. <laughs> yeah, see, but they weren't on the backs of his hands when his gloves were off. Which sometimes, is a weird thing. Sometimes they are. In the 80s, sometimes when Cockrum drew him, he would still have the, the grooves. Okay, so here's my no prize. Yeah. So Weapon X puts them on there. The project here does. And at some point, he rips those freaking things off. Yeah, that like, or it just gr- grows over them after some battle. Yeah, but, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's it's a weird idea that you would need to artificially keep the skin open for the claws to come out. Um, it's just so that Wolverine doesn't have ouchies. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's it's Wolverine. His life is right. an ouchie. <laughs> right, isn't it? <laughs> so this is John Wolverine's life is an ouchie Wilson on the podcast against <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, um, it's interesting that they, cause I don't think it's, I don't think the idea is native to Barry Windsor Smith. The idea that he had has some sort of sleeve right. in his skin for the, the, the claws to come out of it. I'm just kind of glad that it eventually gets abandoned because it just seems unnecessary 
and weird, and maybe it would feel the opposite if, like, every Wolverine always had little thingies on the backs of his hands, and then right. someday he didn't. We're like, oh my gosh, his claws <laughs> just go right through his skin? That's gotta hurt. Right. Um, but, but yeah, as it is, it feels weird. Right. Now, I, I do want to, I, I will apologize real fast. The word terminal is not used in this issue. It's 79. Right. Okay. I was checking my notes when we were talking, and I misspoke. Um... All right. Well, any other thoughts on seventy-seven? Um, nope. That's that's it. Okay. Well, seventy-eight is the saddest cover of the series. Oh. Uh, we have a very just defeated stoic Wolverine. Um, His nose with, is even dripping. Yeah, he's got little either snot or and or blood or a combination coming out of his nose. His just sexy mane of hair, and then all these wires. And um, I can't tell if it's just hatchwork in the pencils or he's supposed to have like almost a fur coat for a chest. <laughs> but um, definitely got some either shading or really nice uh, a rug of a body here. Yeah, he's got um, some carpet going on on his <laughs> chest there. That is, man... But but also it is this, I, I joked about being a sad cover, but there's also like a quiet, subdued dignity to Logan in this pose, in the facial expression. Like this sucks, but you haven't beat me all the way just yet. Um, I, don't know. I I like the idea. I, like Logan in my head does have a definite layer of dignity. Right. It's why I'm not totally opposed to the idea of him eventually becoming a you know a teacher in the school. It's like, yeah, it's Logan, and yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, he is a samurai. He, right. you know, he is in tune with nature. He's done a lot of stuff because he had to do a lot of stuff. It's very Netflix's version of Frank Castle kind of thing. Right. Um but he oh, doesn't man. want to be that person. Yeah. Since you brought it up. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like I feel like John Vertnall and the Netflix Furniture series often slips into a perfect Wolverine berserker with his grunts and growls and and everything. And I I know you probably can't have him do both. It's probably too late, but I would not be opposed at all to him taking a stab at Wolverine. Mm, mm. I, w- I would watch that. <laughs> I would watch that. Definitely. Yep. All right. Well, number 78, which is officially chapter six. Um, the Experiment X program are trying to figure out how to remote control Logan completely. They have a contraption built. But it involves wires and heavy battery packs. And if you want to go further than a certain distance, you need a helmet to transmit the control. And it's just really, really clunky. Um, But Logan has to be kept in a barely conscious state as they work on attaching the electronics to him, which means he can feel what they are doing. And boy, does it hurt. And... Many people of the program actually seem to relish in the fact that he's in a lot of pain. So just bad dudes all around. Um, The program also have to watch his healing factor to make sure that he doesn't heal over 
the electronics that they need to remove because then they'll just have to pull everything out and it'll be all messy. Um, so, like I said, it's pretty clunky, but it seems to at least work to some level. So they can remote control Logan like a puppet, even down to the fine motor control of his claws. So it's almost like, you know, an Xbox video game, you know, pop the claws here with this command. Um, so it also has an off switch, which makes Logan dormant. So the professor decides he needs to be the one to take him for a test ride, but has trouble keeping him upright to walk, which the quote-unquote staff all have a good laugh at, which pisses the professor right off. <laughs> right. He kicks everyone out of the room, but he's still worried for his safety after Logan tried to kill him earlier. But Cornelia says, no, no, it's fine. No, go spit on him, pee on him if you want. He won't do anything. Um, so the professor pours his hot coffee on Logan's face just to make sure he's really dormant. Though you kind of have to wonder, if he wasn't dormant, pouring hot coffee just signed his death warrant. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's kind of a, a chicken shit bravery um, the, the professor which goes right with his character so there you go um, yeah we get an almost snicked we get a snick in this chapter without the T um, so we're getting closer yeah uh, and that that part where the guy is like joking about controlling the claws is still piggy went to market. Yeah. Still, I'm just like, Oh dear. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> this is. And the professor of all people like pulls him off, but like the professor is not doing it because it's immoral. The professor's doing it because it's unprofessional. It's like, if we're gonna brutal if we're gonna brutalize this human being, we're gonna brutalize him properly, gosh darn it. Right. And you know, and no one else can have fun here but me. It's kind of the professor's vibe as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Yeah, I think it almost insults his intelligence, right? Like this is very serious. You should not joke around about this. I'm a serious mad scientist doing very, very mad science. And I don't need your little piggy jokes. Um, which is why it's all the more funnier when he can't control Wolverine's body and they all just lose lose it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he gets so mad. <laughs> the only thing missing with the shut up and blast you all is a, they could have thrown in an eye, stab your eyes or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, man, that, uh, so there's a full page splash of, a Wolverine almost sitting like in an office chair and just all the wires and the helmet at his feet and the battery packs. And it's just, it really has a, a feel to it. Um, it is me on Friday afternoon before getting up to go home. <laughs> there you go. I, I know I need to go to my car. I'll never get there if I don't, but man, <laughs> can I just sit here for a minute? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to, just going to, power nap for like 15 minutes then i'll go right i also you know i said we get a snick without a t but i like the typing sounds around that the dick a dick a dick a dick 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 um it's a interesting kind of kind of play and 
And everybody hates his professor. After he bites that guy's head off, he's like making the little like, like the hand signal, like just the pure mockery behind his back is is great. Um, But yeah. um, He pours the coffee on Wolverine's face. And the thing is like, Professor said, you know, or, or Cornelia said, look, he's turned off. He's dead meat. You, you, want, you can go spit in his eye if you want to be sure that he's down. And in every single panel after that, you're wondering if he's going to spit in his eye. Right. Pours the coffee on his face. But even on that last row, <laughs> you're waiting <laughs> for him to spit in his eye. Right. The coffee gets in his eye. That's good enough. Issue's over. Right. But yeah, harsh. Yeah, you know, it's funny because in the physical copy, this last page is on the left side. Mm-hmm. So the right side, you know, is the new is is done because you see the, the Nick Fury story. Um, had you not, like if this page had been on the right side and there was a page turn you would almost expect there to be a panel of Wolverine like opening his eye, right? Like that's right. That, that's the trope, right? Is that it's, it's the tension? You're waiting for that eye right. to open it, it just <laughs> doesn't. Right. It's it's but, it's interesting tension. Yeah. In that scene. But all right. Yeah. Anything else on this one? I mean, it's very very cool art wise, but other We're than getting... kind of the the gaffaw of. Of the failure to to operate the remote control, kind of. Yeah, we're getting through the story. There's there's one more chapter that I have you know some things to say on, but after that, we kind of we kind of <laughs> move into the action piece of the story, and the action piece right? takes a while. Yeah. Shall we do seventy nine? Let's do it. Shakedown issue seventy nine. <laughs> wow! <laughs> nice. Okay, 79 came out on April 30th, 1991, and haha, I get all the good covers. Um, yeah, this is a great one. This one might be as Weapon X as it gets. He has the Battlestar Galactica helmet on. <laughs> he has his claws up, blood spatter all over his naked body. It's horrendously feral and animalistic, but also it radiates like an actual like Wolverine vibe. Like if Logan were playing a virtual reality slasher game, right. you know, it's like Nightcrawler is going to come in and say, I brought you a beer, fine, mine friend. Um, but yeah. Okay. So similar to the wolves, Weapon X is out and about and they make him kill a bear. And by make him, I mean they're controlling him puppet-like. They make him kill a bear through direct control. This time he has the helmet on so they can see what he sees. And then they bring him back, and the professor is super excited. His weapon is finally up to specs, and he wants to use it. Dr. Cornelius is a little bit less optimistic. We still need to do put him through some runs, do some more psychological testing. The helmet cuts his vision. The battery packs weigh 10 pounds each. They need more refinement, but the Professor X just wants Weapon X to kill some humans. He orders that Weapon X be left connected to the batteries overnight. The reason for this order is a little bit strange. Um, and after the Professor leaves, Cornelius moralizes to Hines about how he's he, he's just not a murderer. And Miss Hines offers her almost loving support in anything that Cornelius chooses to do. During this conversation, Weapon X wakes up. 
and starts killing security and orderlies. Cornelius thinks the professor is controlling him, making him kill humans because that's what he wanted him to do, but he's not. The weapon is loosed and out of control. And at this point, the story takes a shift. Yep, it does. We go from almost the uh, the front part of the, the, the sci-fi movie where you're you're building up to the monster, and now the monster is here. Um, yeah, man, those uh, that first page is some more just straight up classic Weapon X imagery of of him trousing through the snow with the helmet and the battery packs and the claws and no clothes. If and, someone wants to reference Weapon X in shorthand, this is what they do. Yeah, right. Yep, that first page there, um, and. You know, they talk about the blood with the claw extrusion and adding some kind of terminal. But I did want to point out also that even this doesn't require the claws being new, just as the professor is squeamish about the blood. <laughs> he doesn't want to see it. So, oh, yeah, there's there's no reason the terminals made the claws be new. It's just that right. they, as people who are new to Logan, think, well, well, maybe we should maybe we should put a hole there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, we need to get some more. So... We, this is part of the story. I think we do start to build a little sympathy for Miss Hines. Um, maybe misguided. Uh, we get some more focus on her refusing to call him Weapon X. She keeps calling him Mr. Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, she tries to kind of support Cornelius in his doubt. Like, hey, I'll take that step with you. But she doesn't go all the way. So, so your sympathy doesn't go all the way either. Um, <laughs> but when it does build a little bit of that... Um, I mentioned it earlier, of course, fighting a bear always reminds me of Wolverine number one. Um, yeah. Yeah, the um, it's it's a story trope that the person who is doing the hunting or the fighting always wants to go after the most dangerous creature, man! Right, right. And sometimes I feel like man as the most dangerous game is like an overused cliche but then i look at the world around me <laughs> right i think that i think the thing is is that if you strip away any artificial support man is like a really pitiful creature man against nature is like no contest man <laughs> is lo- gonna lose right. um but you you know you give him tools and weapons and ways to implement his intelligence and man becomes this really, really, you know, horrible thing. Um, but Dr. Cornelius is not Dr. Cornelius, uh, professor is back on his like, you know, maniacal level. He sees, um, he sees what Wolverine can do, and he's like, I need to control this. But then the last page is that absolute loss of that control. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, yeah, it's it's gotta be pretty terrifying to be sitting in your office and see him start cutting through the lab door. Um, yeah, that definitely has kind of that that alien vibe of oh crap! Now now it's loose. We know it's out there. We're kind of trapped in this facility with it. Um, what are we gonna do to survive? And it's, it's interesting. Um, I know that it's not intended at all in this point, but I 
there's kind of an accidental Easter egg on page six where Cornelia says, first, I'm told we're creating a kind of super soldier from Experiment X, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, you know, eventually will tie Weapon X to, like you said, the Weapon 10 and the Weapon Plus program, which goes all the way back to Weapon 1, Captain America, the first super soldier. And so it's an accidental connection, but it definitely amused me. Um, yeah, yeah, it definitely amused me too. Um, while we're on that page... I was going to ask you, when do you think the switch happens? Uh, the switch of Logan yeah, moving in, into no moving into the final act. Oh, um, and I don't know if we want to spoil, you know, the reveal about the final act until it gets there, or we could just talk about it all in context. I don't, I don't know. Um, hmm. You can almost say the the panel on the bottom of page five with Logan looking down. Mm-hmm. There's almost like a change in his facial expression. Uh, not that he's in control, because I don't think that's the case yet. But I think definitely when they take the helmet off, I think we are are moving in that direction for sure. Yeah, I, I as I was going back through this particular time, I was thinking, okay, I think that panel where they're taking the helmet off, that could all be now in the scenario part of the story. Oh, oh, I gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, it definitely could be. That's where the professor leaves. I have, I have a lot of questions about the scenario, but we'll, we'll, we, we'll we, we, yeah, we definitely need to talk about it. When we get <laughs> I'd say like we had the bear fight. We know that happens, right? And the conversation with the professor, um, you know, that seems to set up stuff. But when he walks out of the room, that's a definite end to that scene, or could be a definite end to that scene. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to think of where it actually makes sense to happen, and I don't, I don't know if I have a good place, but I think that is as good as any. <laughs> I honestly think there's not a great place, and I, we'll talk about it more. I right. almost wonder if that's an afterthought. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Um. So yeah, so so we'll, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, we do get a full snit on page seven, which is nice. Um, yeah, we finally get it. And then um, I like that the Cornelius thinks that um, the professor is doing this. Yes, it's a it's a totally logical conclusion after the argument they just had. Yep. And uh, and this issue, I I wrote my notes moves from a slow burn to full throttle action and the rest of the story kind of stays at most at a pretty high tempo um Mm -hmm. with suspenseful ending after suspenseful ending right yeah so okay well i'm gonna make a note to keep looking for different starting places but i tend to agree with you that that makes as much sense as any other I feel like it has to be in this issue somewhere. 
Right. Because the the action of the cliffhanger ending, I mean, from here on, we're in one scene. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And so, it, but but we know the bear, they, they talk about the bear attack. So that happened. That's just my thought, my thought. I'm not trying to be, uh, like, shoving my opinion or anything. No, no, I... Take a break, John. No, I just, yeah, no, we're talking about. I, I think you have to be right. I just don't know if I love it based yeah, right. on on the way it plays out. But yeah. um, but looking at it, I think you. I I don't. I have no alternative. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, you want to go ahead and move on to eighty then? I'm ready for my eighties. Okay, well, speaking of being ready for your 80s, this is a very 80s design cover. Um, it is. We have, we have naked Wolverine running away from a body that he just eviscerated. And then in the background, we have nice 80s light graphics um, on the wall with little fluorescent neon arrows and stripes and bars and columns. And it's very video game-y looking, like almost yeah. like a... Like a laser tag <laughs> place. Um, but even just like, you know, the whole late Bronze Age feel of, of comics covers, this is definitely part of that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, number 18, Weapon X is loose and cutting his way through guards as he heads towards the professor. None of the overrides or facility controls are working. Cornelius has realized they've lost control and he authorizes lethal force to stop Weapon X. The professor talks to him, his mysterious benefactor, asking if they are controlling the situation and the facility. It's inferred they may be, but whether they are or not in control, or sorry, whether they're in control or just taking advantage of the chaos, they feel like it's a great test for Weapon X, as well as a chance to tie up some loose ends. Uh, this conversation is cut short as Weapon X slices his way through the floor. The guards bust in just in time to get Weapon X off of the professor, but are too late to save his poor little hand. Uh. Uh. Okay, I don't... I don't we, we've danced around the scenario thing. I don't know if we can. Um, <laughs> because... This does have to be in this scenario. So so what we, we're talking about in the next couple issues, we're going to find out that this whole sequence of his quote-unquote first escape was all some kind of psychologically implanted scenario. And yeah, they're the watching act, it play out on Logan TV. Right. But the actions of the people don't make sense in the scenario. Um, like, for example, the professor questioning whether the the mysterious mastermind is the person in control or not, why would he question that inside the scenario? Right. And they lampshade that because Cornelius says, hey, that was a pretty good move, making it look like there was somebody else in control trying to garner sympathy from, from Weapon <laughs> X. And it's, right. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and the thing is, the thing is, we don't need that ending because right. all of this is a fantastic story as it is on first read. Yes, it is. Yep. 
It definitely 100% is. Um, I mean, the art here of just Wolverine just going nuts and cutting his way through the facility. Um, everyone in full panic mode. The professor trying to weasel his way out of it, talking to his 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 uh, boss. Um, it's just everything about it's just it's a great action packed issue that is very violent and scary. You have Hines like crying, <laughs> like literally, like physical tears as she's worried for her life and for for her her secret lover, Doctor Cornelius. Um, <laughs> You know, and even when the guards, like, I like have the, the 80s slash going into 90s comic trope of, like, you know, you, you have your podcast, All the Pouches. Here on this last page, we have all the shell casings. Like, there's so <laughs> many, so many just 90s bullets just dropping on the floor. I mean, they must have shot Logan a hundred times. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if they shot him once. And... And then that last scene of the professor like reaching for his glasses and realizing his hand is gone and his own blood like spilling in his face is just like to undo all this is kind of criminal, I think, <laughs> to the story and mm-hmm. really, really kind of a disservice because this is intense. This is super intense. Um, it really is. And, you know, on the read through for this podcast, I knew that was coming. But we still have like a lot of chapters left, right? And so right. I was like, "Is it really? Is it? Is it really? It's so early." And so I just kind of like sort of started speed reading through the rest <laughs> of the story until I confirmed that, yeah, yeah. So I went back and reread a, a lot of it, of course, so I could understand, you know, get the details. But um, it's just I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about the rest of this because a, a lot of it is just. It's the relentless Terminator who will not stop ever <laughs> until you are dead. Right. Right. Um, but but here we do have ostensibly the person in charge of Weapon X. The person behind the professor has activated Weapon X remotely, or at least is making out like he did, and right. has had him start murdering everyone. And clearing the dead wood is the phrase the professor says, and at first he thinks it's everyone but him. Right. But Weapon X is making a beeline for his primary target, the professor's office. Right. Yep. And the idea that someone else is controlling that is kind of terrifying. It is the idea that even the professor got played and kind of is going to get his comeuppance. And, yeah, I remember the first time I read – well, we'll get to that. But um, any other thoughts on on eighty? Uh, nope, I can I can start in on eighty one. Okay, my least favorite cover eighty one is uh, Doctor Cornelius holding a little machine gun and Wolverine's hand. When blo- uh, I do really like the blood dripping all the way down each claw. That's interesting. Yeah, but it's another um, very Bronze Agey kind of layout to a cover, but and maybe not of a not as not as appropriate a way, if that makes sense. Right. Um, by this point, we are at the end of May, May 28th, 1991. Um, and yeah, um, you already described the cover. It's, 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 it's there. So we open with uh, Weapon X standing on a pile of dead bodies, <laughs> I love continuing it. to kill all security militia who gets in his way. 
Uh, Cornelius and Hines help the professor get to the adamantium reactor room. It's shielded, so they should be safe. The professor sees a dead guard and orders Hines to pick up the automatic rifle off the body and give it to Cornelius. Professor mutters about Weapon X being in control of another party, but Dr. Cornelius writes this off. Professor even tries to make a call and reestablish contact with his employer, but Cornelius and Hines write him off as mad. And then Weapon X claws through the wall and stands ferociously before the professor. And this is this is a solid monster pursuit story. This is exactly how this story should play out and happen. Yeah, yeah, it is. Now that first page is just seminal Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, just a pile of bodies. A couple of people are trying to run away. He's got a guy in the air on his claws. Like it's just. On a spit, really. <laughs> right. It's just, it's nuts. And the coloring, being all in red, yellow, and orange, really just adds a visceral effect to it. It's just so violent. Um, you know, and it is a very monster alien type story. Like, they're trapped. There's the scene of Wolverine, like, after he cuts through the guards, you get the sense, not of him running, but, like, when he's stepping out of the blood with a schlick, like, in the blood of the floor, like, he's just... He's just very methodically walking his way and then kind of gradually builds up speed as he gets closer and starts running. Um, and then that scene when when he's above the professor after he cuts in through like the top of the room and the blood dripping on his bald head from the top and he looks up to see Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And that That was so alien to me of like, when the alien's like above the guys in the spaceship and like his like acid like drips down. <laughs> like Yes. And I know that's a trope this is not unique to that. The the trope of of you being in a terrible situation and blood dripping from the ceiling is not a rare trope by any stretch, but it really works effectively here. Um not as well as that image of Wolverine. I'm sorry. It works better than that image of Wolverine works. Because it does. It's the hair's a little too much. <laughs> yeah, and the face is yeah, it's it's not the best. No. It's it's one of the few artistic missteps I think in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very uh, few, very few. But yeah, I mean, it's uh and it's another really intense issue. Um there's there's momentum, there's tension, there's suspense throughout. I mean, you're buying this every 2 weeks and so there's at this point, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? And he's going to kill them all. You kind of really, really want it to happen. This is the delayed gratification. This is the edging of the Weapon X story. Right. And you're starting to see some classic Wolverine moves, too. Like um, the scene I just talked about right before that, before the blood drips, you see the claws coming through the wall, but you see from the claw side. So, like, you just have a wall with claws sticking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of a Wolverine trope. Um, a Freddy Krueger trope, actually, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I have not watched those in a long time. I I had the first two on video cassette. And you know how it is. You watch those video cassettes over and over and over right. again on, on summer mornings, you know? Right. So I've seen the first two Freddy Krueger movies umpteen times. <laughs> nice. 
But yeah. All right. Um, Eighty yeah, two or yeah, no, I mean it's it's super intense, but I agree with you. I think our commentary is probably going to diminish through the the high speed action. <laughs> yeah, until we get to the end, I I I, I mean I'm I'm digging it, but I don't have a lot to say about it until we right. get to the end and stuff happens. It's weird. All right. Well, um, 82 has a cover of Weapon X with his crotch battery and more 80s light background, but now he's being shot at. And there's just little action shooting lines blowing up all around him as he's kind of dodging bullets. Um, and again, lots of, lots of shells all over the place. Bullet shells. All over the place. Yep. All right. Well, in this chapter... The Professor, Cornelius, and Hines are cornered by Weapon X. But Cornelius falters with his machine gun, and Weapon X brutally murders him as the Professor and Hines escape. Logan seems to begin to recognize Cornelius, but only vaguely as though from a dream. And as the Professor and Hines head to the core to save the lab and the data, including Wolverine's memories... I'm sorry, Logan. Uh, Logan's memories at this point. The professor thrusts Hines into the reactor pit as bait for Weapon X, hoping to incinerate them both when he moves in for the kill. Yes. Um, My one comment on this is he throws Hines into the pit, um, and all the stuff he says to her is all just gross. It is, yep. It is. I really like the scene where after he kills Cornelius and the sound effects kind of swirl around mm-hmm. as they kind of as the battery pack kind of starts to short out. And then you see him run away in the reflection of Hines like busted glasses lens. That's a really cool sequence. Um, he um, Cornelius is firing on Wolverine, which inspires Wolverine to kill him. Is accidental. He only fires because he gets swatted in the back by the professor. Right. Which they they draw attention to a little bit later. Um, he mentions twice that he recognizes Doctor Cornelius. He mentions it here, and he mentions him again later whenever he kills him again. Right. Uh, any idea what that's about? It makes sense until the reveal. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like, because you couldn't just recognize them from the early parts of the experiment, especially once the battery pack starts to short out. You could play this to this being where he starts to regain his freedom. That gets undone, so that makes less sense. He says but, he, it's like it from when he was dying. And I just right. don't know what that could be. Well, I think when he was dying, when the Adamantium was being put into him, because he keeps referring to himself as a walking dead man after this. Um, like the oh, so you think it's like just a, a partial memory right? of, of the process? Yeah, that's, that's what I think. Now, okay. I, I'm trying to remember, and I tried to remember without, I did not do any research, quote-unquote. But I was trying to remember just from my overall reading I know there's there's other retcons around Cornelius, and I don't remember if that ends up being that they knew each other before this, but that definitely would not have been the thought at this point, I don't think. No. Um, I, I know they do lots of retcons to the story. 
um, Cornelius appears in one other arc early in the Volume 2 X-Men. Um, but And then in flashbacks in the whole Wolverine 48 through 50 thing. Right. So I don't know. I don't remember exactly what those retcons are. Yeah, but I. But but to answer your question, I read this as him just starting to have because they they talked about him being semi-conscious during that process. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I liken it to, um, <laughs> you know, so most of the listeners have probably heard me mention this once or twice. I don't talk about it a whole lot, but um, I was born with a cleft palate, and so that has meant through my early childhood and young adulthood, lots of procedures and surgeries. And I remember one time that they told me it was a dream. I I remember one procedure very specifically that I feel like I came out of the anesthesia a little bit during the surgery Mm -hmm. and had some very distinct images of things going on around me. And not... I don't mean like a supernatural, like I saw angels or anything, like like things in the room, what the doctors were doing. Right. And I expressed that to my doctors later, and they said it wasn't possible. But then... They kind of... I mean, my experience <laughs> is that they have to say stuff like that. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. But, but then I remembered something that one of the doctors said, and he said it again, like in a follow-up visit, and I, I had like this deja vu moment. And I'm pretty sure it's because I heard him say it during the the procedure. And I don't re- remember what it was. I just remember the feeling of it. And so I think there's maybe a possibility here that Wolverine, being semi-conscious and not fully under, has like some background memories of the experience. Maybe he doesn't consciously remember them, but they're buried in his subconscious. And I think that's why they refer to him remembering Cornelius as from a dream or like in this dreamlike state, because he doesn't really have like a conscious awareness of who this guy is, but there's something that that stirs Wolverine kind of emotionally in, in, a, in a dreamlike memory. And so that's kind of how I read it, but I mean, I don't know for sure that's what they meant. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I hadn't really thought about the, the actual, just remembering the procedure. I thought yeah, I was trying to think of like some sort of like you know flashback connection or something. Right. Um but yeah. Yeah. So more things that that maybe don't make sense with the ending, but um I don't know. You want to move on to eighty three from there? Eighty three. Next right. last penultimate chapter. Yeah. Okay, so this cover shows a burnt and burning Wolverine about to kill the professor. Yeah. The first appearance of Hot Claws. (laughs) (laughs) Which are not nearly as tasty as Hot Fries. Right, right. (laughs) So Carol Hines is begging for her life. And Weapon X speaks with Logan's voice saying he understands her and doesn't need to kill her. He does want to kill, and he looks up at the control window where the professor is. Um, the They call it a fission gate. It's like the underside of a vat with a circular door that opens and drops hot stuff on them. Why is this here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I don't know if it's molten metal. They call it fission. I mean, fission is where you like fuse stuff together in a nuclear reaction. Right. So are they dropping nuclear waste on them? I don't know. Whatever it is, it like melts Logan. <laughs> it's right. really hot, pouring down him, scorching his flesh. The professor calls his boss and gloats, ha, ha, I destroyed your precious weapon X. Um, but then while he's gloating and ranting, the gate closes and he realizes that his master is still in control of the facility. Uh, Logan is at the control room window and he speaks to the professor saying, he's a man, he's Logan, professor's the animal. He cuts off the professor's other hand, <laughs> but that does not make them even. He pops his claws right into the professor's brain, killing him. Now they're square. Right. Got that, chump. <laughs> so Logan is definitely back. Mm-hmm. Um, at least according to this part of the story. Um, man, this this is brutal. It's You know, it's one of those things that as a Wolverine fan... Like that kind of catharsis of Wolverine being really brutal and kind of, kind of evil, but he's doing it to such an evil person is kind of okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's that uh, it's that power fantasy, right? You know, of get, being able to get revenge. We so often in our lives can't get revenge, right? Or maybe even wouldn't really want to get revenge. That being able to have stories that let us feel those feelings feels good, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, you know, we also get a reminder of his claws because he cuts the other the professor's other hand off with a kind of side swipe motion, letting you reminding you if you didn't already know that his claws are razor sharp all the way around. (laughs) <laughs> which doesn't exactly make sense. Right, especially right. Especially since they're always shown as being basically conical in shape. Right, yeah, yeah. That's why I always prefer Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri's blade-like claws, but... They're really you, sharp, they're really sharp-edged roundness. Right. <laughs> sharp circles. That's, mm-hmm. that's my punk band. <laughs> um, but yeah, and... Man, just the the burning, charred, corpse-like body of Wolverine on his death march. Definitely evocative of horror movies, um, whether it's your Jason or your Freddy Krueger. But this horribly disfigured monster coming in for the climactic kill. Um, mm-hmm. We also get a snack for the first time in this story as he pops his claws in. Yay! And you almost think, right? Like he chops off his hand and he pulls his claws back in. And you almost think, okay, this is the part where stabbing him is not going to be good enough. Like Logan's going to beat him with his fist. But then instead, you get the slow stab as the claws come out and the professor sees them. Like and you see the panic in his eyes as the. The claws slowly come out, and you know it's kind of slow because you get, first of all, three different snicks and sound effects of it entering his body. So we did it one claw at a time, and it's just nasty, but it's so effective. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cathartic. Yeah. And 
it's it's yeah it's, it's that slow methodical one two three and just the cold dull hatred like doing yeah. this is going to satisfy some part of him but it's not going to make anything better right he's killing this guy because he has to be killed and then he's going to go on with his you know whatever it is that is his life now right Yep. Um, couple other art things. Um, I really like when the professor, after he gloats and looks up, and you see the reflection of Wolverine's clawed hand in his glasses. Um, so some more cool glasses work there. Um, but yeah, it just it's visually and emotionally just brutal, but very powerful in a way as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, anything else on that one? Um, story's over. That was really good. Um, really happy with the way it all turned out. <laughs> so thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's funny because let's, let's, let's play a little game. Um, it may or may not be different, and we can save that surprise. But let, let's say this was the end. What would be your rating of the story through this point? Fucking A. I mean, this is this is the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. He has been captured. He has been brutalized. It was horrible. It was terrible. He gets revenge on the end, kills everyone who hurt him, except for Carol. And, you know... We don't see him make his way out, but we we can imagine that, you know, Wolverine, you know, sad Hulk walks off to the next phase (laughs) of his life. Um, But yeah, it's it's a really, really strong A plus. The story is still going to get an A for me at the end. Right. It is it is is a weaker A than it would be if it had stopped right here. Yeah, if it had stopped right here, I would probably give it six out of six claws. I mean, it's hard to say any story is perfect, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, I forgot, um, I forgot about the claws. Yeah, definitely yeah. six out of six claws. Right, so let's, we won't spoil it now, but we'll see if and how much that changes with the last story. So issue 84 does, does start off promising with a really rad wraparound cover of a pinkish-orange Logan, uh, very close up on his face, blood all over his face, his hands kind of groping his own face with his eyes closed, um, claws out to various degrees of extraction. It's a really nice image. Um, I'm actually just now looking at the wraparound cover because, of course, I don't have it. Oh, it's, you just had half of a face? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a good bad. half, but yeah. <laughs> man, that is that is some desktop art right there. Yeah, it is. It is. Wow. Um, you can pretty much bet that'll be the episode image, but um, we'll see. <laughs> All right. So this is a longer chapter, so a little bit more synopsis, but here we go. Um. So Logan dumps the professor's body in the incinerator before passing out. He wakes up to random audio recordings from the experiment and facility security. 
He finds Cornelius' body and vaguely recognizes him again, questioning whether he, in fact, was the one that killed him. As he thinks and tries to remember, he gets angrier and angrier, and the claws slowly come out of the now visual terminals in the back of his hands. So they got installed at some point, per the professor's request. <laughs> um, he runs, trying to escape a nightmare adamantium ghost, as well as his own bestial tendencies. He goes outside, where he is confronted by Siegfried and Roy's wild tiger. Here we learn that Logan's freedom was just some sort of mental psycho scenario to further shape Logan and also give him some ego back and some level of self-consciousness, as our three Experiment X project leads are all alive, well, and still fully monitoring Weapon X. They decide in this scenario he only spared Heinz because she was not a physical threat to Logan, and Cornelius comments that the professor, quote-unquote, faking being a pawn was a brilliant move and attempting to stir up false sympathy from Weapon X. The, professors, the professor sheepishly agrees. They send the Wranglers to collect their weapon, but lose contact, and we find out that Logan takes them out. It appears he is once again being controlled by an outside source as he claws his way violently back into the lab where we assume he kills everyone again. Then he really does escape through some beautiful snow art um, where uh, the reader finds out that Hines regretted her involvement and we end in one dead hand and the control mechanism on the floor, as Logan is now 100% nude, free, and probably very, very cold. Probably. There's, like, ice forming on his claws. <laughs> right. Okay, so I don't know if I can get into my thoughts on this without doing overall summary thoughts. So, do you have anything specific to this? Um, okay, so... Earlier, whenever they showed the very first Logan TV, uh, it was a surreal self-image of the um, his own skeleton and mm-hmm. such. So whenever he's running and the running turns really super surreal and his body starts morphing around on him, this is the implication that, oh no, we're back on the monitors because this must be Logan's like self-image. But if we're back on the monitors, what's going on? And we find out on the next page, oh, look, it's, you know, actually everything we thought happened didn't happen. Um, so they mentioned that a short time ago he tried to kill, he, he killed that bear. So the bear attack in that previous issue where he's wearing the helmet on the cover, that's the last known real event. Right. They come in from the bear attack. They're arguing about him being a ready weapon. Uh, Professor wants him to start killing humans. They remove the helmet. Professor leaves the room. And that's where we're saying, okay, that might be the last real event. Because then they start talking about um, leaving him connected to the battery. Uh, Leaving him connected to the battery is what allows him to wake up. And that 
seems to be the beginning of the scenario that is in his mind. So it's a very subtle shift, but I feel like you can draw a line there. Right. The weird thing about it, the weird thing about it is that everything that happens after that involves a whole lot of private personal conversations. Right. So it's it's a problem. Um, okay, so we're finding specific stuff about this issue. Um when they're sitting there talking about the events of the last half of the story, oh my gosh, is that gross. Um, they're like, you know, why didn't he kill Carol? And Carol's like looking distinctly uncomfortable with right. this conversation. They're like, oh, it's because, you know, he had sympathy for her because she didn't actually try to kill him. And then she's like, oh yeah, and he only killed you because you accidentally shot him. And, Fres- and Cornelius is like, oh yeah, that's right. He didn't even try to kill me either until I was a threat. See, he really is your good weapon, Professor. He's doing exactly what you... It's just so weird. Um, It goes full-on Nightmare on Elm Street at the end. Like, the the dream that they programmed becomes reality. He wakes up and and starts going out of control (laughs) or is under someone else's control. But, like, he confronts his tormentors. Um, The final five pages feel a little off for me. Um, while he's the, the the art is beautiful, the visuals are totally great. Yes, and and he wanders off to go meet the Hudsons a few days later. Um, but the the narration and the and the dialogue between Cornelius and uh, um, Hines, Cornelius's accent goes like country Maine, and. Um, <laughs> We get a little more remorse of voice between them than we had in the entire story up yes. to this point. It's too late. And it doesn't it, fit. Yeah. It feels like it's, it's a dialogue from like earlier in the story, too, because they're talking about what they're doing. It's sort of like it's still going on. Um, but like either they have too little remorse too late in the story, or maybe it's like while they're in their professional roles, they can't show these feelings. And so we never got to see them earlier. But it just, it still feels weird. Um, No, that whole, from where the the interlude in escape starts with him walking through the snow, that really could have been just images, and it would have been much better. Yeah. 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 It could have been just images. And I'd almost be wondering if it was conceived that way and editorial told him to put some dialogue there. <laughs> Possibly. Because the dialogue feels completely out of place. And Barry Windsor Smith is usually a bit more deft than that. Right. I also, also, honestly, I also wonder if the entire ending is, is, is not the intent of the writer. Well, yeah, I, I can see where it seems like something was changed, but I guess my question is, what's the benefit of the change if we ultimately end up with the same result? Here's the weird thing, though. We don't. Wolverine does not kill these people. It looks like he does. If it were just this story, we would assume that he does. But all of these people come back in a later issue. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I'm sorry to remind you. You would have gotten there eventually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I (laughs) will. Oh, man. Okay, so, all right. You want to start with uh, 
I have a couple of like topics. You want to start with the scenario? Yeah. Okay. I don't. And this doesn't. Besides the fact that it unfortunately undoes some of the best parts of the story. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't. It doesn't work in the sense that if there really is a mysterious benefactor. Because it almost makes it seem like that is only a maybe, right? Because he takes control during the scenario, and then at the end, he takes control, but then Wolverine ends up free of his control. So then does the person controlling him at the end make him take out the control mechanism, I mean, depending on, I guess, where we end up with who the, the mysterious person is, you could say that. I think it ends up being written that way, right, that they wanted him free. Um, but also, it just there's so many things, like you said, that are private conversation and so many revelations that they wouldn't want revealed. So it almost seems like, we're saying this is a program scenario, but they had no control over the program. And I don't mean like they couldn't control Logan, because obviously that's part of the experiment, and mm-hmm. seeing what he would do. But it's like they also can't control their own parts in the scenario, because why would the professor reveal to his peers that someone else is running the show inside of a right, scenario? Right, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and just, it really kind of bothers me that <laughs> that they went the way they do. It's another lampshade thing, right? There's several things that you like you wonder about and they like draw attention to it that they keep on going. Um Cornelius is like, hey, that was that was a pretty interesting idea to like throw in that we know there's a mysterious benefactor because they talk on the phone in the second chapter. Right. Like that has to be there. So Cornelius's discomfort with the I'm sorry, I keep getting their names confused. The professor's <laughs> discomfort with Cornelius being aware of even the suggestion that there's somebody else in charge is evident. He does not like the idea that Cornelius is is thinking about this. Right. Um, so, so why, why put it in the scenario? <laughs> yeah. You know, why is that in the story? Why now? Did they? And this this is just me spitballing and no prizing out of nowhere. Did they all wire up their own brains to a simulator? And like let things play out the way they actually would play out, a la that oh. episode of Young Justice where okay. Miss Martian, like you know, all the Titans die and Miss Martian's the only one who's alive. So um, that could be the way it happened. It's the only way that seems to make sense and justify the choices that are made. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good no prize because it almost fixes it. <laughs> almost. Yeah. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, other than complaining about the scenario, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say, but it definitely, it's, it's an unfortunate way to, to quote-unquote, put a twist on the story, because it didn't need it. Um, it didn't at all. We, I mean, I do think, so, like, if you skip from, like, the end, if you skip from the end of 83, or, sorry, yeah, end of 83, and then have the scene where he, you can even include the first part while he's running away from the ghost, and then skip that 
page where they talk about it, do just the bottom panel of him coming out the fence, then skip the tiger and skip all the way until the northern lights, and the story's better. I was actually <laughs> having almost exactly the same thought, because here's the thing, Jason. Marvel Comics Presents has a very rigid eight-page chapter structure. Okay? All the chapters are always eight pages in every single issue. So there are five pages of the epilogue, which means we need three more pages and eight to make a multiple of eight for a special double-sized ending. (laughs) So we start at the beginning, and we start counting pages. And um, let's see, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages is where things start to go surreal. Right. And then we need three more pages. We have lights. We have uh, bones coming out. And we have him fading into, into night. Now, turn back two pages to where everything is turning blue and pink. Do you see everything's turning blue and pink? Yep. Now flip to the epilogue. What color scheme do we have uh-huh. going into the snow? Yep. That's awesome. There was something else. I, yeah, I feel like there was some other structure to this story, and it got changed for some weird reason. Maybe to pad out the story more, because the only other thing in this issue of Marvel Comics Presents is that Firestar chapter. Right. Finishing up her storyline, they got, they got truncated. Um, because that was gonna be like a seven or eight part story, and it got turned into three or you something know what? like that. Even even with the narration, so let's say you do my idea and you take all the words out of the epilogue. Mm-hmm. So you have the color scheme, then you you end on the phrase "Don't give up," and then you have him silently with no words wandering through the snow, lingering on that "Don't give up." It's a better story. Damn it, John, we fixed this comic. We fixed it. <laughs> so, so the Jason and John remix of Weapon X, um, we'll just take some screenshots from Marvel Unlimited and put it together for you. <laughs> and uh, you can see the superior version to the last chapter. Um, <laughs> all right. Very cool. I know I like that idea a lot. That's a that's a great do-over. Um and I don't think you lose anything. I mean, the only thing you lose is the ability to bring the guys back, like you said. But I, even that is not necessary. And it's probably better left. They're, they're better left dead and letting other people be involved with the other iterations of Weapon X that come later. Um, mm. So, so uh, the one thing we have not talked about that we need to talk about uh-huh. who's on the other end of that phone. Who's on the other end. Right. So, um, yeah, I, you know, there's, there's the two main things. One is that it was originally intended to be apocalypse, which people reference, well, basically just old interviews. And then also the, the jungle adventure. There's a, Kind of reference to Apocalypse being connected to Wolverine's origin. Um, rereading it is kind of thin, but it's there. Um, it's the sort of thing that like feels like a, a long game hint. Right. It's right. nothing explicit at all, but it's one of those things that, like, like with a lot of Chris Claremont stuff, 
you look back at it after everything's played out. You're like, oh, look, look at this idea that was seeded right here. But it doesn't end right. up growing any fruit. <laughs> right. And I think part of that is having different writers involved. You know, because Walt Simonson wrote The Jungle Adventure and really had no other inroads to Wolverine stories. Um, mm-hmm. Now, whether he had asked for them and was not given them or, you know, when, when they decided to bring Hama over, there just wasn't room for anybody else to really do much. I'm not real sure what the behind the scenes was, but it's kind of the trouble of when you do a one shot with a writer that doesn't normally write the character. It was good, but for them to make a lasting contribution depends on a lot of other writers acknowledging that and picking up on it. Um but yeah, but I mean, even talking to other other people who were around Marvel at the time, there seems to be a definite indication that the original intent was for this to be Apocalypse. I'm I'm actually pretty surprised that it's left dangling after this story. Um, you know, I knew from reading it before that we wouldn't find out. But if I was reading this fresh with no prior knowledge of the story, I fully expected like the last page to be like a cameo of somebody on the other end of the line. Even if it's not a direct shot, like some kind of hint or clue as to who it might be. And we get nothing really at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. As far as this story is concerned. Other than a thinly veiled apocalypse reference in the in the prologue. <laughs> Right, the, the the same word pops up, and I'm wondering if that was Barry Windsor Smith is doing a nod to his buddy Walt Simonson, or or if he knew, or if he had an intention of doing something that also got changed, or I just don't know. Um, so years later, I mean, several years later, we find out that this person is is Romulus. Okay, before, before, before we get there, before we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, is there anything else in the stories, like anything Age of Apocalypse or anything that comes after this that continues to strengthen the Apocalypse suggestion? The only thing I can remember that sticks out offhand is, I don't remember if it's during Fatal Attractions or during one of the 12 stories where Apocalypse has a pretty workable knowledge of how to um, uh, uh, what's manipulate adamantium. And so there's that kind of another thing connection that could be something. doesn't have to be. Um, but other than that, I don't... I'm trying to remember, and I'm going to lose a lot of nerd cred. I was not buying comics at the time and have not gone back and am saving it until I get there. I haven't actually read all of the age of the original Age of Apocalypse. Neither have I. I've read bits and pieces. And so I've intentionally kind of avoided specific details about it because I really I'm looking forward to like reading the whole thing on my own, like as kind of a, a new story to me. I there's a lot of it I already know bits and pieces of just because of other stories. But um, so if there's a direct reference or relationship between Wolverine and Apocalypse there, I'm not aware of it, but it definitely could be. So I guess listeners, 
um, why don't you write in and let us know um, if there's anything in, inherent to that story that, that builds evidence. Well, I while I was listening to you, I was doing some Google Foo. Okay. And I found the Comic Book Legends Revealed page from CBR.com that addresses this very thing. Oh, okay. Should I read? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so Barry Windsor Smith had worked with Chris Claremont closely on a number of X-Men projects during the 1980s. Uh, I think, what's that, Life Death yep. is one of the most famous ones. Yeah, and so then one with uh, a big lady Deathstrike story as well. That was really awesome. Okay, so they'd had conversations. So when Windsor Smith was given the chance to write an origin story for Wolverine in the pages of Marvel Comics Presents, he didn't want to irk his friend and colleague by messing with anything Claremont had planned. So he talked to Claremont and then later relayed the conversation to Wizard for their 1996 Wolverine tribute issue. I had a conversation with Chris Claremont in which he told me that he had always intended for Apocalypse to be the villain behind the adamantium experiment. For no reason other than courtesy to Chris, I devised a situation where the professor in the story was taking his orders from a higher-up. Despite this hindrance to my plot, I felt it best to give Chris the chance to eventually fulfill his wish to have Apocalypse be the real villain behind the adamantium experiment. Chris never got the chance to do his ultimate origin for Wolverine, but know that whenever the professor is being belittled by the guy at the other end of the phone in Weapon X, it's Apocalypse. <laughs> if you noticed a couple of years earlier when Wolverine encountered Archangel, who had been given metal wings by Apocalypse, it sure seemed like there was some kind of connection there. We've got some panels. Archangel says, you roughneck little lowlife creep. I was right about you from the start. The years haven't taught you anything. Can't you get it through your thick skull? Jean's spoken for. And Wolverine says, I know the rest, Flyboy. Even if she wasn't, she's still too good for the likes of me. And he thinks, Angel, his scent, something about it. Familiar, pain, sweet mercy, the pain. Oh, um, yeah. And in a 1990 graphic novel by Walter Simonson and Mike Mignola, uh, it's the one we were talking about earlier, we have Wolverine looking at the uh, all the maybe cloning tubes, but definitely science tubes. I think that sucker cracked a rib, but he's through taking my tribe. Still, it doesn't make sense. We don't know much about Apocalypse. Maybe he was a robot all the time. What was he really after? And look at this setup, all the dust. Most of the stuff looks like it's been here for eons. And he looks over and he sees a skull. What's that? A skull made of... No. No. And um, Apocalypse appears behind him. You should learn to relax more, Logan. It's a wonder you haven't had a heart attack by now. But of course you have special advantages over most people. And Wolverine recognizes that voice. It can't be. And why not? Every artist likes to sign his work, Wolverine. Apocalypse. So, um, yeah, he talked about signing his work. He has a skull right. made of adamantium, or at least coated in adamantium. And um, the, their their conversation continues on, just like it did the Jungle Adventure. The, uh, the, the article continues, So Windsor Smith had all the reason to believe this was going to be the ultimate reveal. Here is one of the aforementioned... Oh, that shows the phone call in, um, in Weapon X in panel form. And uh, scrolling, scrolling. However, like many X-Men subplots before it, Apocalypse being behind Weapon X never actually became a reality. So, yeah. There you go. So, yep. so the basis we have for that. And now, Apocalypse was introduced in X-Factor, right. not X-Men. Um, and I think it was uh, Louise Johnson 
not Johnson, Simonson, mm-hmm. Louis Simonson creation. Um, there was a storyline where there was a secret villain who was going to be the owl, and they're like, no, you can't do the owl because that's dumb. And they made Apocalypse <laughs> instead. I did not know that. That's hilarious. Yeah. I can't so, imagine X-Factor fighting the owl. <laughs> but the beginning of X-Factor is like mid-80s. Yeah. So Apocalypse has been around for a while by this point. So Claremont, at, I mean, obviously whenever Claremont was doing early Wolverine stories, there was no like secret Apocalypse. But as he was formulating the idea in his head, he began to connect Wolverine to Apocalypse, as the, the concept of Apocalypse. Yep. Too bad. <laughs> but but Romulus, you know, from Romulus. is that the Wolverine Origins series? Um I think it's before that. I think it's um I don't remember who wrote it now, but uh Simone Miyake did the art. And I don't hate a lot of Wolverine fans really hate Romulus. I don't hate him as an idea. I don't like the idea of making all the animalistic mutants having like a common chromosomal thing. Uh, I think they call it a lupine gene. I don't like that. In, in the same way that I don't like Nightcrawler having his physical appearance because his dad was an actual demon. I like more accidental evolution. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't mind the idea of Romulus being like this behind the scenes almost like Sabretooth's like fantasy fulfillment. Sabretooth loves messing with Wolverine, is pretty effective with it, but doesn't really have the world spanning power to do it. He just does it more up front, <laughs> right? Sabretooth's right. biggest biggest success in messing with Wolverine was convincing Wolverine that he was his dad for a while. Right, right, right. Um, but Romulus kind of has a, had the long game where you know he wanted to eventually groom Wolverine to replace him as kind of the secret runner of the world. Um, you know, of this you can't use the word secret empire in Marvel anymore, but basically this cabal of whatever he was grooming Wolverine to be his replacement. Wolverine rejected him, and the idea that all of these steps along the way, including Weapon X were just to mold Wolverine into what he wanted. Um, that, as an idea, is not a bad idea. Um, wh- so which would you prefer? Do you have an option C? If I were to like, make up my own reason for who's behind Weapon X? Yeah. Like, would you choose Apocalypse, Romulus, or something else? Charles Xavier. Really interesting. Why? Um, I just, I kind of pulled that out of my head just now, <laughs> but Xavier is such a manipulative bastard. Yep. I and like he, it. There are so many times where we've gone back and said, yeah, but actually Xavier was doing more than we knew. I mean, there was that whole first X-Men miniseries from a few years ago that like had the X-Men before the first class. <gasps> what if, if you know, there's going to be some soft and maybe hard retcons from um, Hickman's run. What if he just does that? That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hickman, if you're listening, you have my blessing to make Professor X the other professor. It would be like a gang of professors. 
<laughs> professor working for professor. <laughs> is that like the in council? Fact, that- in fact, he's not really a professor. Professor Rush just makes all his underlings go by the name professor. <laughs> he's like, I'm Professor Xavier. You're professor. You're professor. You're professor. You're all extensions of myself. Go and manipulate the heck out of the world. Um, I, I can't I think like of anyone, anyone else except for, I mean. So before you said Professor X, I was going to say I like the apocalypse idea, but doing it through Mr. Sinister. I would, I would love to see him connected somehow. But I mean, just because I like, and I, I, this is no surprise to anyone who's listened to the show, and I think you and I have talked about this before as well. I know it doesn't work in real life. Nothing's ever really that connected necessarily. But growing up with Hammer's G.I. Joe, I love in my fictional universes for things to be like super layered and connected and too convenient. And, oh my gosh, that bad guy's my father or my lost brother. Or I just, I eat that stuff up. And so tying a major ex-villain to the creation of Wolverine and then even more tying two of them would just really tickle my comic funny bone. But uh, All right. Well, we're going a little long, but real fast, I just wanted to do a wrap-up conversation on Claws. Um, I think we, we talked quite a bit about it as we went. So just to, to see if we're I'm in agreement, there's nothing in this story that says they gave him claws. Right. That seems to be a um, fan zeitgeist concept. Right. That's linked to this story that is just simply not in the original text. <laughs> right. But as we've said, there are several aspects of the story that are just glossed over and neglected and ignored when people talk about what the Weapon X story actually was. Right. Yeah. So. All right. Well, so overall thoughts. um, I really like what you talked about earlier about Wolverine being less of a character in this story and really just an instrument. Um of the terror of the story. I mean, it is at its essence, a monster story where you eventually feel sympathy for the monster as a lot of good monster stories do. Um, You know, you kind of see their journey and how they're abused and you come out kind of feeling okay when they do monstrous things because, you know, the quote unquote humans are the real monsters of the story, which in, and, you know, Wolverine even alludes to that where he, you know, he says, I'm not the animal, I'm Logan, you're the animal. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, some qualms about the ending revelation aside, I, you know, I love this the first time I read it. I loved it when I read it a few years ago again, and I, I loved it this time as well. Um, the art is overall you know a few random panels aside just kind of next level good um in both the action and the emotive expression of white faces and body language and all of that's just really really good and you know i think overall the script and dialogue is, is pretty good as well i mean 
I could have maybe done with a little less of the technical caption boxes, but it also fits the story, so I can't complain too much about it. Um, so what is, what's kind of your overall feeling walking away from the story this time? So if we can just for a moment set aside those 15 or so pages, or I guess it's fewer than that, it's more like 10 or 12 pages in the um, final chapter. Um, this is an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, beautifully rendered throughout. Like you said, with a, with a couple of gaffes here and there, 99% of the art is beautifully rendered. Um, some of the captioning is a little intense early on, especially whenever there's like all the feed stuff going on in the first chapter. But like I said, that, that kind of evokes uh, hospital medical audible environment that, you know, is often hard to achieve in comics. So it's almost like he did that intentionally to let you hear what it was like. Um, you know, we take, we take Wolverine at a really, really low spot in his life and we wreck him thoroughly. <laughs> and we don't actually, we don't actually get to see him put his pieces back together in this story. He yeah. wanders off into the frozen woods and we just, we slot this into what we know of continuity. And so we kind of know how he gets put back together. Um, but we don't actually get to see that in this story, which is an interesting choice. You know, it actually takes advantage of the, um, the, the aspect of long form serial, you know, comic book storytelling um, because you already know the recovery story from this if you're reading comics um right so many epic visual iconic ideas um the the helmet the the walking through the snow the the bloody claws coming out um the feral roars of pain him in the tank um the professor and dr cornelius and carol hines their faces are you know you know writ left written on your mind mm -hmm. um it's just this is this is one of the great works of marvel comics um from the super late bronze age the 90s have barely begun but this is much more of a you know late bronze age story than it is a 90s story um so you know you have those two ages next to each other kind of one blending into the other this feels you know this is not all of the excess of the 90s right but it's just before that um so yeah i really after having read it a few times through i really kind of love the structure and love the feeling of the story I just wish it didn't get all undone at the end. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I kind of like that we fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> that we found a way to, like, excise. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. those, those bits. But at the same time, at the same time, I mean, all the characters are alive later, so you kind of have to have them live somehow, some way. But no, right. no, 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 scratch that comment, because in the story, he kills them again. Right. <laughs> Or at least it's strongly implied that he's about to. Right. <laughs> you don't have you don't have Jason walk into a room full of teenagers with a machete, close the door behind him, and pan away into the woods 
without immediately thinking, oh, rip those things. Yep. Yep. They, so. must have, they must have had either smoked weed or had promiscuous sex because they got murdered. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say another one, but I won't because it's uncouth. <laughs> um, so one one last thing, if you got I, I don't want to keep you too long. No, but, I will. Um, um, you think there's anything in this story that implies he's a blank slate leaving this story? Um, I know, I know for sure that all the implanted memories don't come till later with Larry Hama, but we know that when the Hudsons find him, he is feral and all that. Um, just wonder if you feel like there's a direct connection of him kind of not having memories or wait a second, this... don't we? Do we eventually find out that a lot of this was actually fake? Oh gosh, don't rem- I maybe maybe I don't want to think about that. I don't Okay, like okay, okay, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, sorry. I think you might be right though. Damn it. <laughs> um, you know, I will say John, and I don't know if you've experienced this, the one problem with doing multiple reading projects and multiple chronologies is I have trouble keeping stuff straight sometimes. And I'm usually really good at that sort of thing, but there, <laughs> there, there are there are limits to what my brain will contain. Like right. I'm doing my Transformers show and keeping the nuances of the continuity between Transformers cartoons and Transformers comics <laughs> is part of the conceit of the show. Um, but I do occasionally get confused. Um, yeah, is he a blank slate? Okay, the thing about Logan in this story is that he might as well be a blank slate. The whole time, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Other than him, like, I'm Logan, I'm a man, and you're an animal, we don't have anything else that even identifies that he has identity in the story. So, yeah, he could very well be a blank slate walking out. Cool. All right. Very good. This was this was a really great story and a really great conversation. I'm so glad we got to do this. Yes, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and helping me celebrate. So, what do you? So, we said before the last chapter we would have given this six out of six claws. Does that stand, or do you want to change, taking the whole thing in, into account? Um, I think that that sixth star is barely made instead of solidly made. Um, I can't, I can't knock it down to five just on that <laughs> last. I mean, there's so much good. Yeah, yeah. And you can ignore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm gonna leave it with six. Definitely six for art, and a barely six for story. Okay, I'm gonna be right there with you. I, I was a little closer to. You're giving this five, even though I know that's like Wolverine blasphemy. But um, but no, I'm I'm with you. I'm going to give it a lower side of the six out of six claws, um, with just the wishful thinking that it has been a little bit different, but not different enough to actually lessen my enjoyment. So, all right, perfect. All right, well, that guys was episode three fifty. It was a long one, but very well worth it, and. If almost three hours of John Wilson is not enough, and you know that it's not, 
he's going to tell you where else you can go listen to him talk. Hey. Um, okay, so Marvel Comics every week. Make ours Marvel. 60s stuff. Michael Kaiser's my friend. We do um, that every Friday. Then once a month, I release several episodes about early Image Comics. That's at All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast on Twitter at All the Pouches. Make ours Marvel's on Twitter at Make ours Marvel. Um, I am cooking to be released in the fall a Transformers UK podcast where I'm talking about the comics that were published by Marvel UK in the 1980s and the cartoons that came out alongside. Uh, my son has helped me look at the cartoons. Um, the comics are a solo project, and that is not online yet, but it is on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. Um, and I do a tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch at Let's Talk Wanda. And I am on Twitter talking about the comics that I read and other comic-y related stuff at John Reads Comics. Very cool. And, of course, for the podcast that goes Snick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Uh, retweets and Facebook shares are always welcome and enjoyed and very grateful. And... Um, yeah, I'm glad to have, have made it this far and done the show for seven years, and we'll see how many more we do. <laughs> not not ending anytime soon. Can't guarantee another seven, but we'll uh, we'll keep going for the foreseeable future. And John, just as always, it's a blast to have you on the show, and thank you very much for for giving me so much of your night tonight. It was a privilege. Thank you. All right. Well, until next time, everybody. Hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And, and snack. <laughs>